This is Gary from Kill Your Idols on To Be Soft Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Two Beats Off. This is episode 18. Today, we're talking to Blair Sheehan of Knapsack. Um, hey, MC, you were saying a little bit off uh, off the record that uh, you always try to make a Wayne's World reference. Did you see that Heather Locklear was uh, the victim of an internet fake death today and yesterday? <laughs> I did not, but the fact that Heather Locklear is still alive breaking, is breaking news. <laughs> well that's good news i guess yeah she's alive um well no i, I guarantee you she doesn't look as good as she did in that movie swing um <laughs> because time I, is a cruel mistress i bring it up and i think it's interesting because recently also tanya roberts from that 70s show um it was reported falsely that she had died and yeah, she that she did that she had actually died. Yeah, but the Which day that was she? I'm not entirely sure. I am impressed I remembered her name. I've seen like five episodes of that show. I know Ashton Kutcher and the wimpy fellow with the big jeans. Um, oh, and, and the redhead. Ah, yes. She ends up in jail. She does end up in jail, but she's not a redhead anymore. Makes sense. Schwing. Showing. Let's wrap up the year. Um, twenty twenty sucked dick. See, and already twenty twenty one is better because some fucking MAGA douchebag tased himself in the balls so hard that he died. We can yeah. all laugh about that. That's fucking hilarious. That I and the lady, it. the lady with the "Don't Tread on Me" flag that Trample. literally got trampled to death. Did you see the lady who was crying because she got pepper sprayed and was rubbing the onion in her eyes? And she's like, and the guy was like, why do you think they pepper sprayed you? She goes, because we were trying to Did you see uh, her? Did you see her put into the Animaniacs theme song? No. It goes, it goes like, we're wacky and we're zany. They held me down and maced me. We're Animaniacs. <laughs> and it was, it's so good. <laughs> so to, to play conspiracy theory, theorist here, the lady with the onion in her eye. Onion is actually a very good. Uh, yeah, like if you get maced, it helps you like clear it out. So she oh. putting onion in her eye was preparing to be maced. She knew right. what she was doing. Yeah, that's the. I feel zero sympathy for people like that because she knew what she was going in. I mean, that if I was going into a situation where I knew it was going to be maced, I would have like a jug of milk with me and I would rub onion in my eye. As vice president of Antifa, you'd think I would have known about the Onion RA, but I didn't. I only know about because I was. I like to research everything I see, and every time that got posted, it was like people going, "Oh, she put an onion to pretend like she got mace," and then like three people like, "Actually, the onion is a very good." All right. So I don't want to get too deep into a Polita talk. We are a music podcast, but I want to. Do you want to know what my favorite thing about the whole about that all is so far? What? Olive Garden revoking 
unlimited pasta passes from anyone who was confirmed to be at the Capitol. <laughs> Is that true? It's true. And they took away Sean Hannity's lifetime pasta pass. Do you want to know what my favorite thing is? Two cops died. Oh, buddy. 1312, motherfucker. <laughs> we'll drink to that. God damn it. <laughs> Friends, everyone listening, think... notice that no one condemned me for saying that. They agree with me. They just are trying to... One of them has an in-law that was in law enforcement, so we're all just trying to be nice here and not have a weird Christmas in 2021. <laughs> so you think we're going to make it to Christmas weird. then? Yeah, it'll be weird no matter what. I'm making it to Christmas because I'm spending Christmas in fucking Key West this year, bitches. Why didn't I get invited? Steven, you are definitely invited. Wow, thanks. Justin, you can come too. <laughs> All right. I have a 15 oh pass band. <clears throat> yeah. Tebow calling... does Key West. Tebow does Key West. Who do you yeah. think we oh we should just do a Stevie on the street style uh That's what I wanted to do. Remember when we got the passes for uh Pooza? That's kind of what I wanted to do. Yeah, just p- hop up on people and ask them a yeah, goofy like, music question. Hey, why do you think that band is any different from the next one? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, I agree. So kind of on a similar topic, um, I saw an article today where Anthony Fauci said he believes with the proper vaccine rollout, we could have concerts and live music by the fall of this year. Fake news. By the fest of this year. By the fest of this year. Yeah. All right. Um, well, let me let me ask you this, fellas. Traditionally, fest passes go on sale in like April or May. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to honor uh, all of last year's. Oh, uh, okay. Well, my question still stands. If um, say today is yeah, April, we're going. Yeah, yeah, we're going, Justin. We're well, going. no, yeah. no. Do you tr- you trust buying a ticket? You would. Do I have the shot? If I have the shot, yes. Okay. Whether you have the shot, yeah, but whether you have the shot doesn't mean they won't cancel it. Still, you know what's sad? You said the shot, and it took me so long to think. What does doing a shot have to do with whether or not we go to fest? Steven, (laughs) Rumblemans prevents COVID. Why do you think I haven't gotten it? Great, this episode's going to come with a CDC warning now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, someone's potty watch is going on. All right, so here's the other other things that prevent COVID. I'm sorry, cocaine. Potty watch? Mm-hmm. Cocaine prevents COVID. See, get get clear audio of this. Cocaine prevents COVID. <laughs> Rumblemans prevents COVID. Um, smoking marijuana in high, high quantities prevents COVID. Um, other things that prevent COVID, I think licking buttholes prevents COVID. Those are the only yeah, things really, that I can say you got to sure. get in there, though. It can't just be like a... Like a breeze, it's got to be like. No, you can't just like lick the outside. You got to shove your tongue in there. Uh, yeah, you guys. <laughs> if you don't come out with a dingleberry, you're not vaccinated. <laughs> you guys, we're he- we're hemorrhaging listeners. Uh, no, we are. We're we have friends calling their friends, being like, "Yo, they're talking about licking booty holes, and their tongue and is going 
inside. Get MC, on this now. MC, did you get my hemorrhoid joke, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hemorrhage. <laughs> I got it. It was a good pun. I guess hemorrhage, hemorrhage and hemorrhoid are two. Di- I'm not going to point out my failure. Continue. Yeah, um, I only have one of those things, and it hurts. One was a song by the Pennsylvania rock band Fuel. That's Would true. you like to elaborate, MC? Oh, it hurts. <laughs> I'll sh- I'll send you pictures later. Uh, there okay. are no old tigers pictures or stickers in the background of that one. Mm. <laughs> so, guys, for the first time, I can actually talk about new music that I've listened to. But wait, we're supposed to recap last year. You're getting way ahead. Yeah, this, uh, those they, albums both came out in 2020. Is oh, this your oh, is this your boom, top two? Roasted. Is this your top two list then? Top three with Strike Anywhere at the top? No, no. It's just like two albums that I really enjoyed that I listened to recently by bands that I already was familiar with. But I went out of my way to listen to new music, and I it felt really good. Um, okay, after a year, where I really didn't want are these to listen to you music. Sent us? Yeah. Did you guys listen to either of them? I know I listened to the first one. Stolen Wheelchairs? Yeah. Um, my main thought was, it does sound like AF Records, for sure. It does sound something like I would like if I took the time to sit down with it more. I hate their fucking band. It's, um, a, it's hard, right, to get past that? that? I still haven't listened to Diarrhea Planet. I I was really impressed with that Stolen Wheelchairs album. Um, more so with the production. Like, I knew they were, like, they're good musicians. They're a good band. The production is amazing. It, it sounds like something on a, quote-unquote, bigger label, in my opinion. Like, they threw money at it. Yeah. And there's a couple songs there at the end that uh, I think sound a lot like... Um, I can't think of the guy's name who wrote the songs for Off With Their Heads and Dear Landlord, but there are a couple songs there at the end of that Stolen Wheelchairs record that sound like they could easily be like Off With Their Heads, Dear Landlord outtakes and in a good way. Like they're they're yeah. very, very good melodic punk rock songs. No, I like that one. I, I, I do want to listen to it like because I just kind of like pick songs and then like skip through parts kind of thing. I do want to sit with it and actually listen to the whole thing. Um, and, and that's cool. Uh, the other one was Protagonist. They put out an album early in oh. 2020, and I think we're all familiar with that band because yeah. those dudes have been around a while. Um, is so Jeff in that band? He is again. He was and he wasn't, and now he is again. And when I was listening to it, there's a couple songs on there that in my head I was like, man, these songs sound a lot like pride and persecution era from the boils uh, Mm -hmm. a band from philly that jeff berman was in and then when i after i listened to it and i looked into a little bit of the album notes jeff is in protagonist again so it makes sense that his songwriting shines through in some of those songs because yeah um it it really it sounds like those like punk rock sing-along anthems that the boils wrote for that pride and persecution record just you know 15 years later, a little bit more mature songwriting. Um, they do a Violent Society cover, which I was kind of shocked by. That's cool. And the, I guess it's, I guess it's an album. I, it might be an EP because there's, it's a short track list, but it ends with two acoustic songs that I think are just acoustic versions of 
I think it's acoustic versions of songs that they had already recorded before, which I don't want to say I could do without, but they weren't my favorite. Uh, I mean, if I Lancaster now, yeah, Jeff moved back to Lancaster. He moved back in like April or May of last year, right at the start of COVID, when we all thought this would be a short-lived thing. And I made I made shirts for him. Yeah, I wonder if he still if he listens to the podcast because. I want to say something to him, but I don't want to say it to him in person. What do you want to say? We can have him on. His shirts Steven. are really small. Steven, I say you say it to him, and we see if he replies. His shirts are just really small. That's all I want to say. So you think Jeff wears shirts that are too small? Yes. Okay. There's no you reason. Just, just size up. You, so you, you heard it here first, Do you guys bro? see what I'm wearing currently? Jimmy Buffett Reefer Band. The Coral, oh, Coral Reefer, Reefer Band. Nice. Yeah. I got me. It's got a fucking shrimp playing a guitar. <laughs> Pretty cool. I'm all in. James I, Buffett. I got a old band mohawk and a Jimmy Buffett shirt. I'm a walking contradiction. Call but Green that's Day. That's a normal fitting shirt. It's a small. Well, fits normal. I guess I'm just not that fat. I think it's a small. Here what are you Greg. saying about Jeff? I don't think Jeff's fat. I think he's smaller than me, honestly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, Maybe he washes his shirts with like hot water and they shrink up a little bit every time. No. Justin, you're an expert on t-shirts. What's your input? <laughs> he's likely wearing a size too small. Um, I have a... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm an expert. I just touch them all day. Um, do you guys do you guys find yourselves between sizes? I used to be a medium. Now I think I'm more of a Marge. Because um, certain uh, certain brands of shirts, I often yeah, I'll, I'll lift up my arms and say to to Lois like, "No, see when I do this, my belly hangs out." And she goes, "Well, how often do you fucking do that?" And I was like, "All the time. A lot more than you, you would expect." Your arms a lot. Yeah, a lot more than you would expect. Um, in length, length is the the worst. Like, I could wear a tighter shirt if it was longer. Yep. You know what I mean? But like, I don't know. I have a weird thing about that. In the movie Entrapment, Sean Connery said that you should always buy a woman a size smaller than what you think she is. Buy a woman. Yeah. So if you think she's a medium, buy her a small because she'd look better in it. Like a shirt or buying a, a woman? A shirt, no. Stephen. Like an article of clothing, a dress probably. I didn't know who you were talking about. I thought you were talking about like... No, Stephen, Sean Steven, Connery is not human trafficker. Don't go down He's that path. Stephen, I think I just invented something to solve your problem. So what are, the, what are the easiest shirts to tuck in, right? Dress shirts. Why? Because they have that bib and the tail. What if I invented T-shirts? The bib with, tail with the bib and the tail, like tuckable bib t shirts. Who tucks in a t shirt? Well, Steven's worried about length, other than Brian Bruce Springsteen. Fallon. Yeah, Brian Fallon, probably the Bruce Briggs. Yeah, I Bruce. tucked in a white t shirt once when I felt comfortable with my weight, and I felt so cool. I mean, if you're um, tucking in a, a white t shirt into dark blue jeans and you're kind of slicking your hair back with a red bandana in your back pocket. Then you should just probably suck Bruce Springsteen's dick and get it over with. No, these are black jeans. I'm 
I'm not sure even what. So I'm not sure suck what, Davey uh, Havoc's dick. Oh. I'll do that. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure what a corporate boardroom phrase I said to get it, but I had a Facebook ad once for a uh, a polo shirt that when you tuck it, you could snap it under your dick, kind of like a, a baby onesie. And then it's oh always God. always tucked in. It's like a polo shirt bib thing. And then yeah. I could raise my arms all over the place, and my boardroom it's polo like shirt wouldn't fall out. Just imagine trying to piss, you though. Yeah. yeah, I'd need to cut a fly yeah. into it. You have to take your pants all the way off to piss like you're a fucking toddler that drops their pants to their ankles so, every time they pee. So when I when I, I worked, they have a slit in there though. I don't I don't know, but when I when I worked at the gym, um, there was an 80 year old patron who ended up tailoring my suit for the wedding. What if I brought her a a tucked in, dick buttoned polo shirt bib thing and said, "Hey, could you uh." Using your expert seamstress skills from your years at Nordstrom, could you put a fly in this for me, please? I would love to hear the insults <laughs> she throws at you behind your back as she makes that happen for you. <laughs> None of them could we be aired on the podcast because they would all be extremely offensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nick and not poop. PC. <laughs> you fucking dingbat. <laughs> yeah, old ladies are stupid. <laughs> So wrapping up 2020, Steve. Yeah, let's, uh, let's do that. MC, I recommend MC always Moses. wrapping it up. Uh, Stephen, tell me about a record you liked, or an experience you had that you enjoyed. An, an experience, like in general. Yeah, you said you didn't want to stick to records. You wanted to just talk about stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Something I did in 2020 that I liked. You really threw that. I wish you had texted me. Oh, sorry. It was um, all. All this was your idea, so that was my idea. What you yeah. just said. Yeah. Uh, you said okay. you said let's recap 2020, but not just stick to records. We'll talk about things we did or anything. I can throw something oh. out there when Stephen. Well, I, I um I'm I'm really glad that in 2020, I started reading again. I haven't consistently read books since I was probably like. 16 and i feel like i talk faster now because i can read <laughs> <laughs> and i learn a new word every now and then and it gives justin and i something to talk about and i also like reading justin's stuff oh thanks i borrowed one of steven's book and books and read it and really enjoyed it because up until that uh foe what's he uh, okay. read yep um, up until that point, the only books I had read recently were like nonfiction, like kind of depressing serial killer horror, not horror, but serial killer cult kind of like informational books that while they're really interesting, boy, is it depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. I, I read the, uh, fuck, I can't remember the name of it now. The, uh, book on the west memphis three and whole like this lady did it was a female writer she did a really great deep dive into that whole case and everything about it and while it was super informative and i i that i find that case just fascinating it was so depressing just knowing that three innocent people spent basically 20 of their 20 years of their lives locked up for a crime they never committed and 
the real killer just is going to skate because police are so bad at their jobs that they couldn't even do the basic things right. Was it called The Devil's Knot? Yes, The Devil's Knot. Yes. I, I haven't read it, but we, we have it. Oh, so. my God. It's really good. And it like honestly, it's not boring in any way. But mm-hmm. it is like you get to parts where you're getting into it and it is it's hard to read just because of knowing that this is a real story and a tragedy that happened to literal teenagers right. who did nothing except wear black T-shirts and listen to fucking Metallica. And I mean, at the end of the day, the real tragedy is that three like six to 10 year olds were murdered and no one knows who actually did it because the police couldn't take the time to actually solve a crime. Yeah. But 10 year olds suck. <laughs> yes. Which is probably why somebody murdered them. But actually <laughs> I, I have a real theory that it was uh, one of the kids' parents were involved in a drug sting operation with, the police and i think somehow that was a catalyst for the murder and it was a retaliation for that and that's a whole crime podcast thing that we should let somebody more informed than us handle (laughs) we were not prepared (laughs) to do a deep dive crime podcast quite yet no um i got another one for 2020 i lost it hit me i lost it Damn, I just had it. <laughs> I'll say something I said when we recorded this before, and it was it's really fun. bad. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Um, so, and Steven was there for all of this. We started off the year fucking killing it with shows. We played with The Addicts. We played with DOA. We played yeah. a show that I don't think you could have put more people into JB Love Drafts that night that we played there because you could not move in that building. And I all of those night. shows were awesome. And we had a great time. Steven winked at me when he said he remembered that night because he drank pretty heavily. We <laughs> played great. It was a great night. Every Everybody had a great night, a great time at all of those shows. Um, unfortunately, that DOA show ended up being the, uh, the day the world shut down, basically, because that's the day Wait. that... Everyone didn't have a good time at JB Love Drafts. Who didn't? Gary. Why? He got mad because he thought Cody Bunce was laughing at him, remember? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, DOA, the DOA show we played was March 14th, and that's like the day that NBA, NHL canceled their seasons. Like, oh. DOA, the day of the show, DOA found out that the rest of their tour was canceled and they were driving home. So... I spent most of that night refreshing Twitter on my phone trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. Yeah, I did too. Like I was I was watching the news, but like at the same time then DOA went on and I was like, holy fuck, these guys killing it. They I also they remember way, asking the They were way better than I expected them to be. Yeah. I also remember asking them after their set, so you guys are from Canada. Do you know Propagandi? And he was like, Well, not every band in Canada knows each other. But yes. But yes. But yes. So. But yes. <laughs> Got him. I feel like that's a fair question, though, because DOA is a fairly political hardcore band. Yeah. And Propagandi, obviously, is too. 
and like I'm sure Propagandi has to say that like a band like DOA at least in some way influenced them. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. We'll Let's we'll ask him soon. Sound like you're you're making mouth you're either pretending to be a fish or you want to say something. Oh, I was pretending to be a fish. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I, um, Dead Belly, my uh, outlaw country band, was supposed to play a show on the 17th. And the week leading up when everything was shutting down, our group text was just a variety of, should we do this? I don't think this is going to happen, fellas. And then it got canceled like the day before. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody saw that coming. Yeah. Agreed. Especially uh. after like, like I said, when when the sports leagues were shutting down and like the NBA and NHL were like, yeah, we're pausing our seasons, and baseball was like, yeah, spring training is canceled. I think it was a pretty clear indicator that um, the rest of the world was going to shut down when like those big big corporate financial institutions were thrown away for for all intents and purposes, they were throwing away millions of dollars, right. Um, I remember my other 2020 positive is not having to do holidays like I normally do. That was so cool. Yes. I just oh, went and picked up like leftovers and like didn't have to run around to four different houses. So yes, I can say great. this, like Stephen, you, you kind of know my family situation where I have a very big extended family and my mom's house is normally the party house. Yeah. yeah. Well, this year, because of everything going on in my mom's health situation and she takes care of two mentally disabled um, older men. So her house is basically under nursing home rules. They can only have two guests at a time. So Lane, my girlfriend and I, we were the only people able to show up for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we wore masks the whole time. And like when we ate, we ate in a separate room so as to not like potentially infect them because, um, I deal with like a thousand people a day or more at work. Um, and most of them are too stupid to wear a fucking mask, but whatever. Um, so it was really nice, especially in an election year when a lot of my family are like, blind Republican ticket no matter who the candidate is and especially bad when it's Trump because they believe all of his lies so I didn't have to see any of those people this year which was though is she oh no my mom is the complete opposite she bought every one of those uh like anti-Trump books that were written and before yeah. like the pandemic started, she'd have them out on like the kitchen table. So anybody that came in had to see them. And like my mom's an asshole in much the same way I am. I, I get it honest, as they say here in Pennsylvania. Like I like any like asshole thing you have ever seen me do, my mom has done worse. Yeah, like when she walked up, you know, feeling bread at wide, she's like, you didn't say hi to me. Don't you know <laughs> yeah. who I am? And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't see you. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's my mom. Rules. Beth Heiser, local celebrity. Yeah, That's she's awesome. in my phone with a heart after her name. <laughs> As she should be. Yeah. Um, no, but it was it was nice. I mean, I know I know that bummed my mom out because, like, like that she puts a lot of value in that, but to me, it was a nice change of pace to just have 
the immediate family and the important people there for a change. Yeah, who would see fucking cousin fucking Eddie and watch him like spout off shitty opinions for like two hours? Which is literally true because cousin Eddie has said some real shitty opinions on the internet lately. Pour one out for cousin Eddie. I'm not actually going to pour out my beer. No, I, I wouldn't pour anything away. Ever. But the shitter is I feel I feel like St. Ides, I kind of regretfully would pour every bottle out because of Josh. Thanks, Josh. Oh, man. You know what we should do? <laughs> what? Pour out every St. Ives? No. We need to have a 40-ounce episode. Oh. I don't know, you know if I could even down a 40-ounce at this point in my life. You know, guys, it's three I've three and a half beers. I've never had but one. But it tastes bad. Oh, okay. We have to do it. <laughs> Steven, you can get a 40 ounce of Miller Light. Yeah, I guess I could. I mean, I'm I don't just thinking like it. the I shitty malt. I recommend like Colt 45 double malt. I like the shitty malt. Then it's like 8%. Oh, Actually, if I'm doing it, I'm going to drink my 40 ounce down to the label and then refill it with OJ and do a straight up brass monkey live on the podcast. And by the Jesus. end of it, we'll be like kind of shitty and it'll be great. That's okay, St. Ives was 8.2%, but I used to get two of them for each garage show, and it was right when I broke Edge. <laughs> and it, I only got it because Josh was like, man, St. Ives has the highest alcohol percentage of 40 ounces. I was like, well, I've got $7. <laughs> so you can buy two. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, God and, bless uh, the Lincoln. Somehow but they're let's still just, open. Yeah. Let's just say I know that St. Ives probably – Gave me liquid courage at some of those shows. You know? All those Halloween shows? Yeah, I probably moved on to Sailor Jerry by the time those happened. Yeah, you were drinking liquor at that point. I bought yeah. beer at the Lincoln with a uh, a driver's license that had been expired for six months. Yeah, like, yeah, that place, they care, but they don't. Well, she I looked at it. Let's see. Question. Yes, you haven't it, given us a a favorite 2020 moment, not music related. I figure after we do the interview, we can talk music from 2020. Although MC yeah. already hit a couple of his, but I know you've got like, we can hit ACDC and strike anywhere afterwards. <laughs> and the Jimmy Buffett record. Um, Didn't know about that one, but yeah. I was trying to think as we were talking. talking. About it last time. I wasn't paying attention. I'm going to, I'm going to say in general, the Mahoning drive-ins, 2020 season because we went like five times um they were super safe the entire time and i don't know i feel like this year was way cooler because everyone needed a place to go sort of you know what i mean they opened late yeah they normally open in april and they open over the summer um and uh the big horror events like camp blood and um the zombie fest were really really cool i'll I'm take that as a positive here. Yeah, I am so jealous that you guys went to all of those. And this year, um, I really want to bring Fran, the van. Yeah, do it. Up there, and Steven's going to tag along. Um, we'll come camp out, have a good time, drink some beers, watch some horror yeah. movies. I was trying um, to get – I wanted all my friends to come. It's it's the coolest thing. I love it. And uh, we got Frog and Adriana to, to come once. Um, you can camp we, out there after the movie, right? Oh, I've yeah. got Frog and Adriana have come more than one time. Uh, yeah, we, we almost always camp out because the first time we went up, 
we did not plan for that and then had to drive home at like four in the morning after the movies and that really sucks so yeah, it's much I, much much better to pitch a tent or sleep in your van i bought one of those like mattress in a boxes for the back of fran and i can just sleep there yep absolutely let's um give credit also in 2020 as well where probably more divorces happened than marriages to the frog and and adriana the only people i know who got engaged in the year 2020 and i'm very happy for them and yeah i am too they seem like they work very well i'm excited for that wedding if frog listens to this episode which i think he does sometimes frog's the man and i'm very happy for him yeah i really like steal this from the last from mc from the last episode which this is us redoing but December 2019, Justin and I talked about doing a podcast, and we're both really bad at following through with plans, which is why Reservoir didn't play a show for like the last four, five, four, four years. Anyway, I didn't actually expect it to take we played, off. We played in January. Continue. Yeah, that was the only show since 2017. But I didn't expect us to actually go through with it, and I'm very excited that we do this, and it definitely helped in 2020 with us not being able to actually see people although i saw you guys so yeah but i will also say that uh i want to say first off thank you for letting me be part of this because it's really helped me get through like not having shows and all that shit going on in my life because that is a big turnaround from having like two shows a week for (laughs) essentially yeah between like my between the garage and and JB's and uh, old tigers and old tigers and doing shows at the depot and doing shows at the chameleon like I was busy for like literally three years running and then just to put a stop to that like it's a mental fucking it's a mental mind fuck for sure. I just remember so, we started it and Justin and I were like, all right, we're gonna just like do us, we're gonna do our thing, like you know. We are carbon copies of each other, except I'm nicer than he is. Um, <laughs> and then we we're like, we're going to have a third person on, you know, and see how it goes. But we'll like kind of rotate the third person. Then we're like, wow, every time we do one with MC, it's like really way, funny. yeah, like it lasts longer than it probably realistically should. So oh, that's what she said. Time. Stephen, nothing against oh, you and did. I. Yeah. <laughs> nothing against you and I, Stephen, but there were one or two times where you and I tried to do the bumpers by ourselves, and it was, <laughs> it was. Oh uh, yeah, we did. <laughs> we we never did one, did we? There weren't any. That was just us. I don't think it ever made it to tape. Nope. And the worst interview I did was the one that was just me, with Jack at the auto bar, from World Inferno. <laughs> Although it wasn't just me, Brittany was there, and Brittany yeah. did help me decent amount and jack's girlfriend was also there until those two really started yelling over the whole thing but <laughs> baltimore is a fun place anyway hey uh i still want to keep up what we were doing where we talked a little bit about the band that's featured on the episode and i know mc i'm sorry you probably don't listen to knapsack or the jealous sound but i listened to some of the knapsack songs when you told me to listen to them I like, like Knapsack better than the Jealous Sound. Yeah, that's definitely up your alley more. Yeah. You've um, heard it. You've heard us play a Knapsack song. He may have. Did we play yes. that around here? At the garage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that was one of the, the main things I wanted to bring up. Obviously, Knapsack was a huge influence on us because we went to, if you Google best 90s emo bands, Knapsack's always on the list, and we were very new to it. And so we covered a song by every single band in that list, probably, right? I've Well, we did Knapsack. Who else do we, we do? Did Texas Google is the dolls. reason. Yeah, Google Dolls. We never covered Sunny Day, do we? No, I guess we probably only did Texas and Knapsack. Yeah, and then we gave up covering, and except I just for Halloween. Re- I remember the video of us covering Courage was confused in Casey's Garage in Rhode Island. And oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I was like watching it back. I was like, man, that wouldn't sound that out of place and like doesn't sound that out of place in the middle of our set. So sorry that we stole their sound, but I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, you, uh, you guys said that we sounded like that after a first couple practices before I had even ever listened to Napsack. Like, yeah. I, was, I, I was late to... I came in... I mean, we'll do a big Reservoir episode eventually. I came into it on the heels of Hot Water and Place Was Taken for Stars and that side of Small things. Small Brown Bike, probably more so, yeah. 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 Um, I do remember all of us being like, we really overthink things. Why don't we just do what Napsack does and do, like... Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, outro. And all those songs that we ever did that on are the ones you hate. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Like St- Still and Stray. Still's my one of my favorite songs we ever Not heard. Not Still. Uh, what, what's the one at the end of the demo? The Josh is... The Josh Forging. Sings. Forging. Forging. Forging I, and, I, and stray. That's because yep. I don't like my drums in forging. And I do actually like stray more than I would like to. Not, it's really not great. to take away from the Reservoir talk, but uh, when I was a guitar player and wrote in the wrote for my band, I was a big, big proponent of like the Aerosmith, like intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, outro, done. Like, yeah. Or like maybe I mean, even like start with the chorus. Oh, buddy! But, but that's why Reservoir could never write songs because we always felt like we couldn't follow a formula, and every single song had to be fucking different in some way. I the, I fought for that a lot. I'd be like, guys, can't we just repeat the chorus? And then we would change it. Frog would be like, yeah, but what if we don't? <laughs> His famous line: Hey, what if we do this? And Andy goes, Yeah, but what if we don't? <laughs> I mean, hey, we do yeah. that. We do that yeah. on a lot of old Tigers songs, where it's just like A B C D E E A B C D E C end. I'm over that though. I really just want to do like A B A B C B. We can do that on the next on the 2021 record. I fixed yeah, it. Yeah, let's party. And, and Stephen, those two newer songs that we have uh, video good. recordings of, they're really good. And they, they kind of follow a more, I don't want to say traditional format, but they tr- follow a more verse-chorus format than what we have yeah, done on do. recent stuff. Uh, last thoughts on Knapsack for me, and if Justin, ha- you have any... Hold on, I'm being yelled at. What? Anyway, last Knapsack memory was deciding at Fest, whatever year it was that they played, it was the year Brittany went with me, to skip out on the Lawrence Arms to watch Knapsack. And that was one of the best decisions I ever made. <laughs> so cool to see Knapsack. I think I skipped them at Fest, but I saw them at Pooza Fest that year when I went with the Caulfield Cult. Yeah. 
I was, that year I was able to skip a lot of fest band. Well, not a lot, but I was able to divvy it between the two fests. Also, I guess playing with the Jealous Sound at um, what was that venue where they were huge dicks? Milk, Milk Boy. Boy. Yeah, they're like, you guys are the openers. There's nowhere for you to put your, you can't leave your equipment anywhere in here. We're like, okay, but you don't have like a parking spot. So I've where re- do we go? I've, I've really fond Milk memories Boy, of Philly? that show. Yeah. Yeah. And I also remember being drunk at the end of the night and yelling Blair from the other side of the room. And then when he looked, I ducked behind someone else. And I feel like in Philly, <laughs> depending on the year, that was a pretty big show. It was, you yeah. Were so, sold out. It was us, Have Mercy, who at that point wasn't as big as they are now, and the Jealous Sound. All right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Somebody broke up. Um, I'll think of it later. A band broke up, and I saw that and immediately emailed the promoter and got us on. Yeah, that's how we got on. Good work. That was the only time we played a decent Philly show. I, I used to be... I would just ref, refresh fucking R5. different booking page R5. And I, <laughs> Sean was probably so sick of fucking hearing from me. Sean and um, uh, Tony from the Fest, because I emailed them all the time. Yeah. See, or Justin, if I give you like 30 bucks, will you get the old Tigers on the Fest? Yeah. Sweet. Do you, do you know my secret to doing that? If I have, if, if Steven or somebody remembers the password, I'll just find the thread where I already talked to Tony about Reservoir playing the fest and just add the email in the reply chain there so it looks like he's been talking to me for months. That's a smart <laughs> move. And then we'd be like, yeah, uh, our new band. Yeah, members of Reservoir. <laughs> yeah. We've already played the fest, so you should just have our band. And here's the thing. Actually, I don't... we should just have the, we should have, Reservoir and Old Tigers both play the fest. I have a van big enough for all of us. We should do a small tour to the fest. Those shows would be ridiculous, and I wouldn't even know how to book them. But but I, here's the thing. If we do that, I don't want Josh to get jealous of Mitch because he owns bass equipment and like the sound that comes out of his amp. So let's go to the interview with Blair from the Jealous Sound Knapsack and Racket Club. Hey, can you hear us? Me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, we've got uh, me, Stephen, here. Uh, Justin, as well. Say hi, Justin. Hi, Blair. Hey, gang. Just to let you know, uh, like I live in sort of a loft space, so I'm in my car, and if, just let me know if the sound's okay. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we yeah. can hear you all right. All right, sounds good. I love it. And we've also got MC here, so say hi, MC. What's up, Blair? So we got, we got Steven, Justin, and MC, is that correct? Yes. Correct. Yes. Three versus one, Boom. it's not fair. I know. <laughs> <laughs> This is uh, Two Beats Off Podcast. We've got Blair Shan here from Knapsack, Jealous Sound, Rocket Club. And we're going to talk for a while about everything we can think of. I love it. <laughs> Blair, we, uh, yeah, when we start these, we uh, try to start the same way where we think about uh, what your first musical memory was. Did you grow up in a musical household or like... The first thing you can remember where like music made an impact on you. 
You know, I was thinking, you know, I, I didn't, my, my household is not particularly musical. What I remember growing up, uh, like being really young would be like the rides to school and my parents would play cassettes and the ones that I remember, there was two, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I, I vividly remember listening to the, you know, the Elton John, um, whatever his big hit record was, it had like, you know, Crocodile Rock and Daniel on the Plane and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I also remember vividly like family trips. Um, we would like to remember listening to uh, these sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it. They're like, uh, you know, these like four and five part harmony rock, uh, uh, country groups like the Statler Brothers or the Oak Ridge Boys. So I vividly remember listening to those are like staples in my household growing up. My dad was a big uh, Oak Ridge Boys fan. He liked the Elvira. <laughs> Elvira, he's got that super baritone. And then the Statler Brothers was obviously, you know, this sort of, you know, they, they were in like started in the 60s, you know, um, and were like pretty cool. And then, you know, they became like an 80s, you know, popular country band but then they got uh sort of reinvigorated at least like in the hip sense because they had that song that was on pulp fiction oh right it's when it's like uh playing solitaire till dawn with the dark got 51 don't tell me there's nothing to do anyway yes. that song was yes. on pulp fiction so those are my sort of uh early musical memories uh with my family possibly also um ann murray was a big uh, a big cassette in the in the deck uh, in, in the car on the way to school as well. Canadian songstress, a Canadian treasure. I'm not familiar. I'll have to look it up. Like Nickelback. Oh my God, what's that? <laughs> like Nickelback, Canadian treasure. Yeah, a treasure like Nickelback. <laughs> and Avril Lavigne. And Avril Lavigne, correct? Yes, Canadian treasures. <laughs> Do um. Do you remember but, what? You know what? I'm, yeah, I'm gonna, go I'm gonna, I'm gonna back on. I'm gonna go back on that. And there is actually, like, Avril Lavigne is Avril Lavigne, whatever. We all know who she is and what she does. But she actually had one song that was kind of a banger that I encountered the other day that I hadn't thought of for a while. That's a, this like sort of kind of epic uh, song, like "I'm with You." Do you remember that song? No. I don't remember that one. Well, no. It's a really, it's actually like a really good song, and it's got a really big sort of like emotional punch and chorus to it. So when we're done with this, uh, the Avril Lavigne "I'm With You" song is actually, uh, uh, I mean, I'm sure she didn't write it, but it's a, it's, it's got uh, some really great pop song um, sort of emotional juggernaut energy to it. And that's where emo started. That's right. <laughs> all, all, all roads lead back to that, you know? <laughs> I actually would like to, on a Canadian note, I did see Nickelback once in my life, and that was on September 11th, 2001. Oh, oh my goodness. Wild. What a wild day. It was, was that at three the York Fair? It was at the York Fair. It was three, three doors down to Nickelback at the, the county fair in my hometown, 
and there were more American flags than you can ever imagine. And I got my drumstick signed by Chad Kroger of Nickelback and Brad Arnold of Three Doors Down. Wow. <laughs> and how old were you at that? How old were you at that time? Ten. Ten years old. Yes. You know. And, and I'm going to say this too. And so many bands get maligned for whatever you Nickelback or whatever. Um, but I'm also sort of of the school of thought, you know, songwriting is sort of songwriting and hooks are sort of hooks and the craft of making songs, they just end up being particularly unhip or, you know, but the craft is not, it's not dressed. It's just, it's just how songs are dressed and how the band is presented oftentimes or, the instrumentation choice or how it does its thing. But it, it would be hard to sort of argue, I think, that even Nickelback that gets, you know, you know, the butt of jokes, that their song craft, like, is not actually, like, fundamentally pretty good, if, does it, if you follow me. No, I agree with that. In normal years, we have a Halloween show in, in the town that we're from, and every band picks a band to be quote unquote for Halloween. And I've tried to pitch doing like a completely faithful Nickelback set, because if we did four songs, everybody would know those four oh, songs. You would know the songs, you know, the yeah. songs, and <laughs> yeah. they, you know, you know, I mean, I don't know, like hum me, hum me a black flag song. You know what I mean? Probably, right. <laughs> you know, you probably can't. It, it, or you know a Sleater Kenny song like I, I don't know I couldn't I couldn't hum one to you but I could I know a Nickelback song. I think Nickelback does a thing very much and I hate the comparison I'm about to make but a lot of their songwriting is is simple but they keep a very formula a formula that works much like ACDC who has been tremendously successful arguably writing the same album what 19 times. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm not like a big ACDC guy, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I'm know. not either, but I know those songs when they come on the radio. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and there's, it, it's not by accident, you know, there's, it, it's all formula. It's, you know, songcraft is sort of formulaic. And um, I think in many respects, it's how it's presented and how it's dressed and how it's instrumented and how it's uh, presented. And we are told what kind of band that band is, you know, you, you know, so many songs that you'll hear, they'll, someone will re rejigger the song and turn it into a country song or turn it into a eighties pop song or whatever it may be, which just speaks to the fact that the song was well-written to begin with and is transportable into different genres because the nuts and bolts of the song are good. In an odd way to relate that to you, I specifically remember, because at this point, Justin and I have been in a band, not MC and I yet, but 10 years down the road, we are. I remember us trying to, like, we wrote our demo, and we're like, what's next? And we're like, I remember specifically us going, there's, like, a structure to songs, and specifically when you listen to, like, the first two Knapsack records, you can see it, there's like a process there that a lot of punk and hardcore and emo or whatever bands 
sort of skip and go through, but you can see the process in that and the consistency it eventually concludes to in a record. Do you think that in any way had any influence on you when you came to songwriting? Uh, if I'm at you, like, like if I'm having that in mind as far as like when I'm writing, when I was writing those songs at those ages, I'm trying to like um, sort of honor a bigger like craftsmanship or formula of writing songs. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a good way to put it, yeah. You know, I don't think I knew enough to know that that's what was happening. I was sort of just fumbling my way through. Um, and if I knew something, I didn't actually know it. I just was sort of trying everything I could try to, to, to get to the finish line. Um, you know, and I think especially when you're a younger band, you know, you always have these sort of moments where you're like, oh, man, this is a this this crescendo and all this drama and all this, like, we've got something good here, you know? And, and then you go and make the demo and you're like, that sounds totally stupid. And we sound like we're trying to totally go for it. And it totally is not going anywhere, you know, or we have this like interlude meandering part that's so cool and this drum shuffle and this little noodle here and it it does absolutely nothing for the song and it's just a waste of time you know and i think too yeah, uh, sorry go ahead oh no I, I continue i was gonna say uh something that i think you touched on at the beginning of that was uh if you were doing it you didn't know you were doing it i think a lot of the formula of songwriting is ingrained by the radio or whatever is popular. Like, I think that we all know verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, based on the the zeitgeist sure, of, pop, of popular songs. Yeah. Aerosmith, yeah, it's like the, Be like the Beatles, you know, it's like it just makes sense. <laughs> and it's um, that songwriting and, you know, at least in the pop in a, I mean, it's not, uh, you know, if you're in the indie community, you're still doing a version of, that same thing it's not any it's not really going to be any different you know and what yeah, strikes me now too, and what strikes me now which is funny i was thinking about the other day and we're, we're just rolling here yep. just, uh, but there's a lot of bands that are coming out i've really noticed that are like fuck it I'm, you know this could just as well be a justin timberlake song or this could just as well be uh uh um you know uh, a Taylor Swift song within, you know, wrapped up in the indie community, you know, and they're like, Hey, I'm just going to do this thing. So it's such a funny, it's all just come full circle where they're just like, Oh yeah. You know, I'm on this boutique indie label and I'm going to do these songs that are not vastly different from like ultra commercial radio. Yeah. But that's how you sell it. Yeah. And that's where we found out what Blair Sheehan was up to in the year 2021. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? Whatever. <laughs> it's you saying that is interesting because uh, I mean I don't know who knows or who keeps up with Taylor Swift, but Aaron from the National wrote that last record with her, and then you have a pop star like someone like Billie Eilish who has more in common with stuff that's on the indie spectrum. Maybe I feel like. We're getting a, right. a, a wider yeah, Venn diagram. You know, and it's a funny thing. You know, there's a uh, uh, 
Aaron, if I'm not mistaken, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't know if you know this, but um, that band, Mumford and Sons, you know, they have all that, you know, old-timey, you know, banjo, like, whatever sort of thing. And then out of the blue, I don't know, like, you know, it was five or six years ago maybe, um, they made a rock record with Aaron at the helm. And they're, and it's so different, and, like, there are killer songs on that record that bear no resemblance to, like, you know, overalls and bow ties and banjos and shit like that. You know what I mean? Do you know that record? I don't, but now I'm going to look for it. It's, I, I, somebody had posted something about Mumford & Sons, a friend of mine, and they're just like, da-da-da, and I'm like, I was like, hey, plot twist. They made, you know, uh, a rockin' sort of um, nods to, like, early U2, The Strokes, like, total rock and roll, like, well-done, like, anthemic, like, driving record that had no banjos rock. You know what I mean? It was wild. And it did okay, I think, um, but it wasn't what, you know, the Mumford, you know, that Mumford and Sons, uh, you know, fan base was, they, they, you know, what they call that, you know, genre fucking your audience. You know what I mean? Not many bands dare to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a roll of the dice if you've got a career, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once you've got it, though, it's not as bad as, say, us in our, like, early days trying to genre fuck our audience. <laughs> <laughs> you're all, you're like, uh-oh. 11 of the 14 people don't like it. Now we've only got three. <laughs> yeah. how, wait, how does he know our bands? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this guy's done his research. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, so sorry, go ahead, Justin. Oh, I was just going to ask what uh, brought you to the guitar and when you first started playing. So... Let's see, um, you know, to qualify that, I am such a, like, I have, I don't really have dexterity or uh, the attention to really master guitar, and I don't know if that's a cop-out or whatever it is. You know, I have certain strengths that I have of playing guitar, but I'm not a very, like, I'm not the guy that's going to pick up the guitar at a party and, and dazzle anyone, you know what I mean? Um I know how to play, I know how to serve the bands that I'm in when I'm playing guitar and can do that thing. And I usually have somebody else who can do the sort of more exotic flourishes and sort of has a broader palette than I do. Um, you, find I, you find your surgery. My surgery, yeah, exactly. And he, he's a hot shit player. Like, I mean, it's for reals. Um, I don't know. He did. He he put together that Dinosaur Junior, uh, uh, Where You Been record. Like, just learned the whole record from front to back and made the whole record with different singers. Um, and I was one of them. Jason from Sam I Am, like Garrett from Texas Reason. We got like uh, six or eight singers. Um, and I did a couple songs on it, but it was just amazing. Like. You know, he note for note, he could whip off those Jay Mascus riffs, and it was wild. Anyway, um, but to go back to that, um, 
I had been sort of, I grew up in a smallish town, maybe 50,000 people, maybe three hours from like San Francisco, this town called Redding, which isn't like, you know, on the map really in a big way. Um, uh, and I just got, you know, skateboarding and punk rock like really hit the town pretty hard, maybe like 1985, six when I was growing up. And so I got into skateboarding and then into punk rock and then I wanted a guitar. And so we went to the pawn shop and I bought a guitar and that's kind of what happened. I bought electric guitar um, and uh, an amp and just started screwing around. What were, uh, what were some of those first bands that when you were skateboarding, you were listening to like what brought you to alternative or punk or like, because there's a big leap between the Oak Ridge boys and, Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) You know, I think, you know, there was sort of, you know, it, it, my progression was sort of uh, like, I, you know, it's a pandemic. So there's lots of podcasts going on that and and that more podcast requests in the last six months than than the last six years. You know what I mean? So (laughs) I've talked about this. Um, uh, You know, I, Grew, like we got into like new wave stuff. So it's you know it's 1984 or five. I don't know what it was. Somewhere around that. I'm 40. I just turned 48. Um, so you know on even on my small town radio, you know there's the Thompson Twins and Howard Jones and you know MTV starting. And so I'm uh, exposed to new wave stuff and I really dig it. Depeche Mode and then the Cure records and things like that. So I got really into that. Um, Smith kind of stuff and um but then punk rock came and that was like a game changer that was everyone was skateboarding and then it, new wave was like dead to everyone and it was just about like punk rock stuff at least aesthetically the way everyone dressed and skateboarding and just being like uber rebellious and being just terrible kids and doing whatever the fuck anybody wanted causing all kinds of mayhem so i got so i got into that kind of stuff but I think I got, uh, you know, I didn't really like, you know, English hardcore punk that was just like exploited or GBH or, you know, all this other sort of like really like, you know, that you get on mixtapes. But then I got into like Minor Threat and Seven Seconds and stuff like that. And it was like, oh, this sort of speaks to me a lot more. And it sort of has this melodic element to it, but it's still really driving and fun and, um, you know, so that kind of, I really leaned in that direction. And then in my town, I even took it a step further that I became like a, like the only like straight edge kid in my town because then I got the use of the day record and all these kinds of things. So I was really, really into it. Like as much as I've ever been into anything in my life, I, I was into like straight edge hardcore in the, in the, you know, not, you know, 87, 88, 89 kind of thing. That was, that was really exciting for me. So how long were you straight edge out of curiosity? So from the time I was probably 15 and a half until the time I was probably... 22 or three, maybe. So let's hear the edge break story. So what did I do? I can't even remember. 
But then, but then, of course, like uh, like most like straight edge kids, I went in with gusto. Uh, uh, the opposite direction is you know, as just just as into being straight edge, I was into not being straight edge after that. You know what I mean? So um, uh, I can't remember. It just one day, just kind of like ah, fuck it. You know what I mean? And it, and I I think uh, I had. You know, I had uh, – the reason for me, like, I had gone to college and, you know, obviously I'm sort of broadening my horizons. And Straight Edge is still cool and I still think, you know, a lot of these records stand up and they're cool and they're these awesome artifacts of a time. And it still influences aesthetically choices I make at a 40, as a 48-year-old man. Um, but um, I think – you know, I went to a show one time, and I don't want to name, you know, name the name of the band or whatever, but it was like I just felt the energy like had left the room, you know, um, and I was like, oh, all this enthusiasm, all this excitement, all this like you know, charisma of these like straight edge shows and like all this stuff, and this is probably maybe 1990 something like that. I was like, I'm like, eh. I'm done. It's not, it's not happening anymore. It just changed, you know, and I had changed too, you know, it had changed and I had changed. No, I can totally relate. I specifically remember just being like, this isn't for me anymore. And that's it. That's the end of it. Yeah. That's a wrap, you know, and I was in, you know, and I think, um, that I'd gone to college and got into indie rock and that kind of like, whatever, you know, like, Oh, okay. And you don't want, you know, it was not, it wasn't like, there. I didn't really exactly have like a big like straight edge crew that was going to like, you know, hold me accountable or we were, you know, rolling that way, you know. And it was the beginning of the 90s, so things had really um, changed from that sort of like, you know, youth crew style of like Nikes and finger pointing and this really like sort of charismatic thing into this sort of like, Oh wow! This this guy has you know is playing a metal guitar and his pants are big and still straight edge, but this this doesn't have anything to do with me. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Uh, Steven and I were both. <laughs> no, Steven and I both are uh, no longer straight edge, but were once. So uh, you're okay. you're talking talking right to us, which is I think why he asked yeah. what the edge break story was. <laughs> it's fun to, fun it, to hear it, it's never seasons. as good as you really expect to hear from an edge break story but they're still great all the same in the end <laughs> you know I think it was just as simple as just like yeah I'll have I'll, I'm gonna have a beer okay fine I'm done I don't care it, the, the, the big the big Y had gone away you know I was like ah who cares the, what's the yeah, point of all this I don't really and if you're not like wrapped up in a social group that's like still that that's so important and part of it, it didn't really matter. You know, I was just kind of like, ah. I specifically remember MC who's with us. It was the one who I broke edge with. And I remember being like, MC, can I have a beer? And him being like, you're not going to blame this on me, right? <laughs> like, right? this is totally yeah. your choice. I was like, I refused yeah, to I even hand him one? the beer. I made him to go go get it out of the fridge and open it himself. I, I wouldn't want so no part of it. What years, what years were you guys into it? Like, what, like you, I think, I'm assuming you're younger than me. So um, what years were you guys into it? 
I was I got into straight edge because of anti flag. So it okay. was probably age fourteen and I broke edge two months before I turned twenty one. Okay. Um, well you know you know, God bless it, you know, um because of sort of like a lot of the mayhem that was going around and people doing stupid shit, um, I was grateful that it arrived at that time in my life. So I didn't like, you know, do something really dumb or for sure. get involved yeah, for with sure. some, yeah. get, get involved in some shady shit that would have caused me difficulties, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I broke when I was 28. So I was thankful to have okay. that through college. Uh, yeah. I think it was Whatever. it was cool. Yeah, no, it, your mileage may vary, <laughs> but seeing but, the but, Justin at the the knapsack reunion fest year, it, I'm glad he waited a little bit longer. <laughs> was, uh, I think I think that was the year. <laughs> but I don't drink anymore, so there you go. You know, as an as an older man now, so I have my run. Edge I'm again. Bored. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I don't know if I'd say that, but I'm definitely. Uh, <laughs> but there you go. So but going funny, back to but, go ahead. No, you finish finish your story. I was gonna uh, put us back in like probably 1993 or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, like even being part of that, um, you know, as as things changed around me and my friends and we started maybe doing music, you know, I didn't go get, you know, uh, like a Fender twin and a Rickenbacker. I still wanted a Les Paul and a, and a Marshall half stack that was, you know, uh, which is directly related to me being into, you know, hardcore that I wanted that, you know, that punch, you know? Oh, for sure. So, when you grab the guitar, is Knapsack your first band? Do you have a band before Knapsack? How do you meet those fellas? Like, how do you go from skateboarding and punk and grabbing a guitar into forming your first band? Okay. So um, I'm still... Uh, I had... Um, I lived in this town, Redding, which again, which is like two hours from Sacramento, which is the state capital of California, three hours or give or take from San Francisco. So, um, uh, I went away to school for like six months and I had a bunch of friends from, um, being into hardcore and then I would literally just go and stay with them all the time from my small town so I could go to shows and we met at shows and I would stay the night at their house. Um, my friend, um, uh, I had a, I had a dear friend, still a dear friend, my friend Brent, um, and he played, um, he played in some of the side projects of, uh, Kevin seconds to seven seconds. And he was their manager for a little while and he's been my roommate in college and so on and so forth. And I met him, you know, at, you know, at a youth of today show in 1987 or something like that. And then my other friend was, um, my friend, Sean, who was the guitar player, uh, for that band far. Do you know them? Mm -hmm. So, I would go and stay at his house. And so I would just go, you know, every weekend I would just drive two hours to Sacramento and stay with those guys. Ended up going to school there for like six months. And then I went back home um, and just uh, went back to junior college at home because I didn't like living in Sacramento. 
So my college friend, my, my buddy from high school, Colby, who was the drummer from NAFSAC, he and I went to high school together. So then we started uh, playing together. He was part of, you know, in our small town, the, like probably the most successful, like sort of indie band in town, band called For Pete's Sake, with my other friend Ken. And they were sort of, um, they were like kind of like uh, violent femmes, camper van Beethoven, kind of, you know, smart college rock, you know, kind of thing. And they were great. Like, my friend Ken was a phenomenal songwriter at a very young age, very sophisticated. Um, and Colby was a drummer, was a great drummer. And then, so then I said, hey, Colby, why don't you play with me too? And so he started playing with me. And then we actually put um, a demo together that was called Downtime. And so that was the precursor to Knapsack, which was myself, Colby, my friend Ken played guitar, and this other guy, Chad Mancebo, played bass on it. And we recorded that in Sacramento, and we made a little six-song demo. Um, and at that point, you know, that was more leaning towards trying to sound like uh, like Dag Nasty or the Doughboys or something along those lines, Big Girl Car, that kind of stuff. Um, reason to believe that stuff that I was really into sort of the more melodic kind of melodic hardcore, whatever you want to call it at that time. Um, so we did that. And then we went away to college, uh, you know, probably six months after that to Davis. Colby, myself, Ken, we all went to the same college, UC Davis. And then um, Ken didn't want to do anything with us. He, he was doing his own thing. So it was me and Colby. And then we just kind of started trying to recruit people to play with while we were there. And then we brought, we had a couple odds and ends people that were only there for a short term. We made it, we actually made a two song seven inch um, that was supposed to come out on this label called Constant Change out of Rhode Island. And um, there's an actual test pressing of it but for some reason, after he test pressed it and whatever, he ran out of money, so it never ended up coming out. So that was actually the first knapsack, which was sort of uh, – we had sent him the downtime demo, and then he said, I'll put it out. Then we changed the name to knapsack, and then he test pressed the two songs. We got them, and then for some reason, he didn't put it out. So in the world of knapsack rarities, that is the rarity of rarities. There's probably like five test presses, and that's like it. Damn. Yeah. And that's sort of us getting our, you know, it would probably sound quite a bit different, than, a, a, a bit different than what NASDAQ ultimately ended up, but that was sort of our, our genesis. And then from there, we got, um, for the first record, um, uh, uh, a guy named Jason Bokros played guitar and uh, Rod Meyer played bass. And they were, we basically stole them from their own band that was called Pivot in Sacramento. And so they played on the first uh, Knapsack record. Um, and in between that, there was a label called Goldenrod out of San Diego, and they actually put out the very first, what I would consider the first Knapsack record. Um, 
the and that, and Goldenrod put out records by No Knife. They were like a pretty like they they were a cool label um, associated with this um, skateboard company called Foundation, and they had this like clothing company called Tomietto. And they we had gone down there to play this thing called Independent Music Festival in San Diego and met all these people that were super cool. And so they put out that little seven inch. So I just dumped a bunch of information on you. <laughs> so in that era, you mentioned you were into the more melodic side of hardcore. Um, For sure. Absolutely. Obviously, like at that time, this is kind of bring, tying that era to this era as well. But at that era, Battery was a very like one of the bigger hardcore bands. Have you listened to the new Be Well record at all? You know, I've heard, you know, I was unfamiliar with Battery at that time. I think that leaned a little more hardcore than what my tastes were at that time, right? So I was more, like, I was way into Dag Nasty, the, like, Reason to Believe, which was the precursor to Sensefield. Um, you know, the Doughboys I thought were great. Um, you know, and then locally, you know, you know, ultimately, Sergi joined a band, but I like Sam I Am and Jawbreaker and like Seaweed. Those were kind of bands that I was looking up to as far as like, oh, I want to be more like along these lines is what I was really like looking at, you know? Right, totally. No, that makes sense. And I think like Coast and Coast at that time probably meant a lot more at that time than it does to us now, considering the internet and the accessibility we have to literally listen to any band from the other side of the world at any moment we want. Yeah, those were sort of, I mean, obviously those were big sort of bands, you know, outside of their local scenes and stuff like that. But they were certainly, um, you know, they were then, to me, they were the sort of logical, like, progression from being, you know, kind of like a hardcore band or whatever into this sort of new thing or melodic, you know, songs but like still having that spirit, you know? For sure. No, that totally makes sense. And I love hearing the connections between like the hardcore era from that time and the unexpected like emo connection you find between emo and punk bands at that time. Yeah, do you I remember mean, anyone considering you guys like an emo band? Cause it's to me, if I had heard it and not heard the term emo, I would just say, Oh, they're like a punk band. You know, you know, I think, uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a funny story. I think we were like, I don't think, it, you know, we were on a, a label called Alias Records, and they didn't really have, they had the Archers of Loaf, um, which was a big college rock band at the time. And, you know, I think, I remember, like, uh, like writing our bio for the band, and, you know, I don't know if anybody knew what to kind of do with us because we weren't on like Jade Tree or like Revelation or some like label where kids would understand that that was part that was part of the thing. And so I think we actually said something like to the effect of like, you know, many people would consider them an emo band, but there's so much more than that. You know, like we like we we like seeded the idea that we were one while simultaneously saying that we were more than that. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah, totally. I mean, that makes sense, especially comparing that time to now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what was the transition then between um, Sergi joining the band at that point, I guess? 
So um, we we had ended up uh, we did our first like Silver Street Stake records with Knapsack, and um, you know that's a real you know I don't think a lot about that record with the band. Some people really like it, and you know I'm not here to tell them not to like it. It's a you know it it, it feels I feel particularly. Um, like I'm really just kind of trying everything, don't know what I'm doing kind of thing. But I guess there was maybe a charm to that. Um, and then we we pared down to a three-piece and booked time with Mark Trombino um, in San Diego to make the next record. And so then we made that record. Sergi um, has a twin brother named Sasha, and we played a show, uh, I believe, with his twin brother's band at the time at a club in Sacramento called Old Ironside. And Sasha liked our band, and then I think he brought Sergi to a show. And Sam I Am was sort of, was like, going to hit, hit self-destruct or they were not going to play anymore or something like that. And... You know, ultimately, we really did need a second guitar because, you know, there's overdubbed guitars and it just sounds better as a four-piece. Well, like Sam I was. Yeah. And so Sergi was like, I'll do it. And we're like, really? And he's like, yeah. And so he just, he joined up and sort of, he started playing shows with us when we, um, like what, I, like right as day three in my new life, that record came out, he started playing shows with us. And that was just a real kick in the pants for us. Cause to us, you know, Sergi was a big deal. Oh, totally. Sam, I am at that time was a big deal. So I, <laughs> uh, you're, you're breaking up on me a little bit. I'm getting a little static. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Not as good anymore. At that point, Sam, I am was a big deal. So I can see how like, not, Poaching isn't the right word, but like borrowing their guitar player was, <laughs> that's a cool. Uh... Well, it was cool. Like, you know, we were, I mean, we were very small time, very, 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 very small time. So the idea that somebody that was in a much bigger band and that we looked up to and respected and thought was really cool and kind of like, if you could pick somebody to play in a band, you know, he would have been one of the people you'd want to put in your band and, if, and he volunteered to do it. So it was really cool. We like, and he's a great guy. I'm still, you know, dear friends with him. And I still play music with him, you know? Did, uh, did that make a big impact when you went in and recorded, uh, this conversation? Like, did you feel differently having added him? Uh, was it yeah. like a vibe, a vibe change for sure when you went and recorded that? Yeah. I mean, for sure we had, you know, he was, you know, he can do so much more than I could. Um, you know, let's say we went to the three piece and I played the rhythm guitars and then I'm going to be able to kind of figure out just enough stuff to make it so it doesn't sound, you know, boring. But Sergi had like, you know, genuine flourishes and cool bits and, you know, could, and he wrote some of the songs, uh, musically. So, um, yeah, it made a big difference. And then, you know, it made a big difference for us, like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do all this, like, you know, he helped, uh, you know, at least bring us up a couple of notches in professionalism, too, because he had experience that we didn't have, 
and like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this stupid thing, or maybe, you know, we should prepare in this way, or maybe I should have a backup guitar, or maybe I should make sure, you know, my tuner's batteries all work, or just, you know, things that you should probably know how to do, but we hadn't figured that out yet. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. I understand. <laughs> so I'm cur- I'm curious at this point in Knapsack, obviously, like when you're doing a band like this and trying to tour and do whatever you can to kind of, you know, make it wherever you want to go, you're never making enough money that you're most likely not working when you get home. What was your side job at the time when you were doing Knapsack? Uh, let me think. Um the heck was I doing I don't have I had a job for a while like compiling um, uh, like I lived in Sacramento early on and I had a job where I was in you know putting together directories for um, uh, like senators and whatever like just basically like compiling that data. I remember doing that. I also decided I was, you know, this is before Uber and Lyft. I, some, one of our engineers and this guy we used in Sacramento was a cab driver and he said it was really cool. So I was like, Oh, I'll do it too. So I was a short time. I was a cab driver. Um, and then I then also, uh, got my certification to be a substitute teacher for a little while. Um, and that's all early on stuff. Yeah. And then, yes, that was, that was that. I mean, it's generally groundbreaking stuff, but substitute teacher is actually a legit job. So that's kind of cool. What did you teach? Oh, I was just a substitute, like whatever they needed, you know? So I would walk in, they're like, okay, you got 30, you know, 38 year olds today. Just make sure no one dies, you know? And I'm like 22 years old and have no idea what I'm doing, you know? Did they prank you a lot? You know, some of them would try, but I'm not the guy that that's going to work on, you know? Right. So I would I would usually flip the script on a joker like that, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so I, would, I would flip, I, I, I'm like, you know... I would set I would I would turn it around on him typically, you know, or him or her if they were trying to trying to work me over. Well, uh, what led to the end of Knapsack and the transition into the Jealous Sound? So, you know, we made that last record um uh this conversation and Colby at the time uh the drummer had you know, Colby's a slow and steady wins the race kind of guy and always sort of is working towards something. Um, and he's gotten a job in the early, uh, you know, what is this? This is like the late nineties with this company called E music, which was in San Francisco. And Colby had always wanted to live in San Francisco and have his life there. And he had this like, you know, you know, E music, you know, marketing job set up. So he's like, I'll do this record and we'll do this tour but when i come home i'm gonna go live in san francisco and do this job full time fucking cold so okay yeah and then and then sergi was like oh guess what uh also never mind sam i am's kicking back into gear so i'm gonna be pretty busy with that again and so i just said okay maybe we'll just we'll just do this last tour and that's it and that's how that's how it ended that's kind of a bummer i mean because well 
I generally, from my experience, you have certain bands that you consider like your gateway bands into your own beginnings where like you got a band that you consider your own. And it seems like when you think of Knapsack, obviously you think of like Blair, you know what I mean? You think of Blair and you think of Sergi, but like Blair is the main piece you think of. Was it at all difficult to let that go at the time, especially when it's kind of out of your control? Um, it wasn't incredibly difficult. I don't think, you know, I, you know, whenever I make a record, I, I always feel like I just barely make it out alive. You know what I mean? Like, Oh my God. Like, like, I, I feel like I just climbed Mount Everest and I, um, you know, uh, right. so it's, it's right. like, it's a big physical, like mental undertaking for whatever reason. That's just how I'm wired. It feels really, uh, it just feels like a lot. So it was okay. I was okay with it. And I had, and I was moving to LA at the time. So Sergi still lived in Northern California. Colby lived in San Francisco. And, um, you know, I was with someone and moved in with her down in Los Angeles so it just kind of made sense that I was going to just like do my, do something new in LA and I was okay with that. And it seemed kind of fun. So, and you always have to remember to, you know, um, it sounds, you know, you have me on your podcast, so you guys like it and you guys think that it's cool or, you know, it's important, but that, you know, there was, you know, the, the amount of support lifting that band up, is, was not the equivalent to a lot of our contemporary bands at that time. Do you know what I mean? It's not right. like we had right. some mega fan base and we had all these things in place and to end the band was this big thing. It really didn't matter. You know, there wasn't this huge group of people that are like, where's the next record? Oh my God. You know, it, it, that's sort of grown at least a little bit in the years past. The years you, did you guys the do like after? Did you do like a last show at all, or was it just kind of like, see ya? You know, I, the, I think the last show, if I'm not mistaken, we did a tour with At the Drive-In as our as a tour for that record, and hold the phone. I, uh, what's that? <laughs> Did you guys so there's videos on YouTube of at the drive-in and knapsack playing at like a classroom in middle of fucking yeah. nowhere, Pennsylvania. Is that the last tour? That was the last tour. So we did that tour and then and if uh if my memory serves me correctly, I remember playing the last show of that tour was we're back home in LA and we played the Troubadour and I remember playing that show and I knew it was the last show, but I didn't even mention it. I was like, ah, you know, I was like, okay, thanks, guys. Thanks for coming out. We're knapsack. And that was, the I best think that way. was it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can, I mean, I played in a band when I was, I mean, at this point, it's like 12 years ago. And we played the last show knowing it was our last show, knowing it was our last show. And it was in, Rhode Island and we were from Pennsylvania and we were all like, we know this is fucking it. And we played it, never mentioned it. And I'm honestly looking back. So glad we went about it that way. I don't know why, but I, I do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, and I, maybe I didn't know if it was going to be the last show, but I think uh, we all knew it was our last show, 
But it was, you know, no one was unhappy. No one was upset with each other. And we were just moving on to different things. So we're just like, okay, it's the last show. There you go. So what was the gap then between the last Snapsack show and, like, the, I, well, I guess it would be the first Jell-O Sound show? The Jell-O Sound, so I moved to L.A. at that point, and then I started, uh, uh, you know, I had, uh, I was just hanging around, and, um, doing whatever. I don't know what I was doing, different stuff. Uh, and then I was like, oh, let's get a band together. And then I was friendly. Uh, a friend of mine, Tom Ackerman, he used to play in this band, Skip Loader, and I'd known him for a long time from playing back in the day. And he was playing in this band called Sunday's Best. Do you know that band? So they, were, no uh, they were on no Sunday's Best was on Polyvinyl Records. And... Um, Pedro, who was the guitar player in the Jello Sound, was in Sunday's Best with Tom. He was a guitar player. And right. so I started fooling around um, playing with both Tom and Pedro. And um, I worked um, also at uh, a production company as like a production assistant, uh, this company called Bonfire that uh, made a bunch of videos and represented directors. And so I would sometimes get like a production assistant job on these video shoots. And there was a guy that was the, in charge of being the rep for the, the directors. And that was John McGinnis. And John, I worked with him and I said, hey, you know, I've got, you know, these other guys I'm playing with, you want us to come and play is like I play guitar but I'll learn bass so he learned bass and he became the Jello Sound bass player and then Pedro played guitar and he and I started kind of like working together and um, I think at the time again if my memory serves me correctly that Sunday's Best was like on the rocks or however whatever their thing was going on they'd gone back in a tour and I don't think Tom and Pedro were on good terms, and it was like one or the other. And so I'd done a bunch of work with Pedro, um, and I don't really, I, I don't, my memory, I don't know how it all shook out, but it just ended up that Pedro stuck around, John joined the band, and then uh, Tom played on the first Jello Sound EP. He was making it as his, he worked, he was taking a recording class at Loyola Marymount uh, College in L.A., and we were going to be his senior production. So at least part of that record, um, the first Jello Sound EP, was recorded there with Tom on drums. And then I brought, we brought in a friend of mine or somebody I knew would dealt with, like, sponsorships for, like, people playing music. And they said, oh, there's this guy, Tony, and maybe he'll play with you. So I reached out to him. He said, I'll come down. And that was Tony Palermo. And he played some of that first EP, if I'm not mistaken. And then he was, he was the drummer on the first Jello Sound record. And now you may know him as the drummer for Papa Roach. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, yeah, wow. Didn't know that, but. <laughs> yeah, Tony P, Tony Palermo. He's great. He's a great guy. 
Um, so I'm curious because at this point we're kind of between your two, like your two big bands, like Knapsack and Jealous Sound, and very random question, but I can remember the biggest fight. Like Justin and I have at this point played in a band together for ten years. One of the biggest fights we got in was when Justin threw my shoes in the middle of the road in Baltimore City. Do you remember, or can you remember, one of the goofiest looking back? arguments you got in with a band member over something stupid that look oh looking back now you can kind of laugh at like he threw my you shoe know. in the middle of the street you know. was so bad and now looking back i laugh so much at the scenario it's amazing oh my god well you know when you're cramped up with these guys for so long and you're driving around and stressful and everything is just you know, whatever little thing is just on your last nerve. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, Bob, Bob Penn, who was, who was the drummer uh, for the last Jealous Sound record, and he plays a racket club with me. I remember a time, you know, we want, no one wanted to get sick. So uh, he, he, he went in the store to get hand sanitizer for the, for the, for the van. So we would have it up front so you can sanitize your hands. Obviously, that's pretty common now with the pandemic. But at the time, we thought we were going to get ahead of it and not get sick. And I remember he came out and he bought – he didn't buy sanitizer. He bought, like, foaming hand wash or something like that. And I was like, this isn't fucking sanitizer. And he, and, and he looked at me and, like, he just wanted to fuck – you know, he just wanted to punch me in the face. Like, just, you know, I remember him being so mad at me. And we don't, and he and I don't really fight, you know. We, we just, right. that, that's not really our way. It's a, once in a blue moon, do we, like, have a, a something where one is upset with the other about something. Um, but just stupid, you know how it goes. Just, like, stupid stuff. Yeah, because you're, totally. I mean, you can't be in that, that close to quarters with someone or with other people under such stressful conditions without, getting in a stupid fight about nothing you know no that's perfect that like legitimately sums it up like looking back you're like what the fuck was i arguing about yeah like who cares and you know you know it's like when the van pulls back everyone you know pulls back into town everyone just like runs out of the van and doesn't want to look <laughs> at each other for a couple of weeks you know yeah <laughs> months years <laughs> yeah oh. Uh, so I noticed when you were discussing that, you said Racket Club, the band, and you used present tense. So that insinuates that there is more Racket Club to come, correct? Uh, you know, I was, uh, we were working on new stuff, and then I just, I, I moved to Palm Springs, which is like 90 miles from L.A. So it's a, it's a bit of a hike to go back there to do stuff. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I'm funny. I, you know, I, uh, I wanted to do it. I just, I just wasn't there to do it. So rather than like, just be like, Oh, we're not doing anything. I mean, it's, it's totally possible that, you know, I'd make the call and we could kind of get it back together, do something. I, I would never rule that out. Um, and no one was mad at anybody. I just was like, Oh my God, I just don't want to do this right now. Or I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to get my act together to like truly invest in this at this moment. So I think everyone was disappointed that I didn't want to 
um, do what was next, but it was just a lot. And I was just kind of, uh, I kept trying to summon the energy to, to do what was necessary to do it. And I kept coming up short, you know? No, I mean, I totally get that. Like we just now have been in a band that for us, like has zero expectations from anyone. And we've struggled to put together consistent practices for three to four years now. Like, and there's zero expectations for us. So I can't imagine at any point being in a band where there are expectations for, and you're like, Oh, what's this dude going to do next? It better be like fucking good or whatever. If you're not in the correct headspace for that, you're not going to put out something you're happy with. And if you're doing it for yeah. other people versus yourself, you're not yeah. really going to put out your best material. You know, it's not that I don't want to, or I don't, um, you know, I'm, I'm at my best when I'm, you know, being creative, like I'm, I'm more fulfilled and I feel better about myself and I'm, you know, in the zone, my best. Yeah. I'm in my, I'm not, you know, that's a better place for me to be, but I'm just not always there. And, um, you know, and, 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 it, and I, I had had, uh, like when the next thing was due, you know, I'd never been on like antidepressants or anything like that before or had an issue with that, but I had a, like a pretty serious bout with depression and actually like, oh, wow, I should probably get some medication because this feels really, really kind of spooky. Um, so at that point, right around that time, I, I was like, oh, yeah, let me get on some, like, you know, something to kickstart my brain a little bit because I'm feeling pretty not so great. So that kind of coincided right around the time of when we were moving, going to move forward into the next record. Right, and there's nothing yeah. you can you can't really justify that by anything other than yourself being comfortable to move on with whatever's next. Yeah. And you know, and it's, and, and it's easy. How do I put it? It's like, again, that was no more successful in, or more any, there was no more infrastructure underneath it than anything else I'd ever done. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like, it's, it's not difficult to sort of move, into something different if there's not, you know, no one's going to lose a job. There's not, you know, a merch crew or a, or a sound crew or tour managers or people that are also depending on us. And, you know, you're walking away from, a, you know, a successful enterprise, you know? So if, if you were to work on something again, because I don't know if I ever really knew, did, did the Jealous sound officially end and Rocket Club is it? Or is there like a, blurred line there between the jealous sound and rocket club, whatever you're working on that. Well, you know, the funny thing is, you know, jealous sound, we put out the record, we toured and then, um, uh, that second record. I was think, great. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, that's a, you know, that was an unexpected record and you know, that I, I, I made, uh, I, that, that came into, existence and I'm really glad that it did um, after not having played for a while. So it was really a reintroduction for me of like, okay, doing it again. So I really, uh, you know, I put, you know, at least for me, I put a lot of care into that record and worked really hard on it. Um, uh, but then that, you know, we came home and, 
you know, I have a tendency or I've had a tendency to spend too much time traveling and playing and maybe staying out longer on the road than is, is, is good. And so it starts to, it, you know, it starts to wear you out. And so it's, I've, you know, in retrospect, it's always sort of better to like, okay, cool, let's get off the road and like get back to some normal life and then get back to riding on the next thing, you know, because just continually playing the same songs and being out and grinding on the road, you know, it, it can like suck some of the joy out of it after a while. And you don't want to do that. The cold enough to break cover was still pretty cool though, even in like 2013. Uh, when did we do that? Uh, we did we do that? I don't remember. Uh, you did it. I know because we played with you guys at Milk Boy in Philadelphia, and it was probably between 2012 and 2014. And you guys did okay. that. Like, Fuck yeah, that's still pretty cool. <laughs> oh yeah, you know I don't. Uh, yeah, I think I, I I forgot that we had kind of done that a little bit, but that's fun. That was fun, um, and that was before any knapsack reunions that happened before too. So. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. It was just that. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, the, the Joe sound is kind of rap. And, you know, here's the thing, too. Like, you know, Bob had joined the band as a drummer and is phenomenal. I love playing with him. Like, just great. And then we had other sort of um, other players. Uh, my friend um, Josh, my friend Michael, my friend Jeremy all, all played as well. Um, Josh played on the record, but everyone else, you know, they didn't have any ownership of anything as far as playing the songs in their own parts and so forth. So, and, you know, we no longer had John McGinnis, who had been the uh, original bass player for the Jello Sound. So it had just felt kind of convoluted, and it was just kind of me. Um, so, it, it, you know, and then Bob obviously became part of it when he made the next record, so he has ownership of that. But, you know, if you have just other people playing other people's parts in a band, it just is not, it's not, it doesn't have that same sort of gang mentality and everybody is playing their own signature stuff, you know? And that can kind of change the dynamic. And not to say that anyone was bad or they were great, you know, and they did their thing, but, you know, they, they hadn't built the band, you know? Yeah. Ownership is uh, the word you used, and that's perfect because it's kind of like ownership versus jobbers almost. Like, yeah, fill, I mean, filling guys to. You know, and there's a joy, you know, it's always kind of fun to play a, a good rock show, even if it's not your stuff, and, you know, plugging in an amp and rocking out and playing cool parts and whatever. But if they're not your parts, it's not as cool, you know? Yeah, I've seen those fuckers play my parts. They don't do it like I want them to. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so we're getting to about an hour and 15 minutes here one of the things I want to throw in which is kind of a new thing for us is we've been doing some fan questions from other people are you down to answer a couple questions from fans okay sure yeah let's uh, let's, answer some, let's answer some fan questions I love it <laughs> some of them are stupid as shit just so you know they generally tend That's to be okay. very stupid um uh, when does the new Jell sound drop? Because I really, really want there to be another album, which we kind of talked about. But 
elaborate as much as you'd like. That there would be another Jello Sound record? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be. That would, you know, I. I mean, I know. I, I mean, I know. I would show up to to. to I, I could potentially show up to do it, but I don't know who else would be involved. You know. Um, who do we have? So. To <laughs> oh my gosh. Everyone. A lot of people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But uh, sorry, Henry. I I kind of knew that would be the answer, but sorry, Henry, in advance. Um, do you? Have a favorite Savage Garden song. Oh my god. <laughs> Savage yeah. Garden Well I, I isn't there only I mean <laughs> Savage Garden had the one song that's like uh something something like a like a like a Coca Cola is is the line in the oh, song, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. And then they and then they also have a real like insipid ballad too, correct? Yeah. Uh, stand with you on a mountain that one yeah yeah stand with you on a mountain they have that ballad and then they have the like a like a something cherry cola or something like that so since those are going to be the two songs that i know from savage garden um i'm probably going to go with the not uh non-ballad song the other one is going to be my favorite (laughs) savage garden and i'm going to i'm going to say that so when i saw this question come up when I saw this question come up, I had to go to Spotify to even figure out Savage Garden songs and listen to them again. And I could not believe that they have over 4 million monthly listeners on Spotify. You know, it's so funny. And I'm just going to like, you never know. Like, like, you'll be like, is that band popular? Like, you're like, huh, I think that band's like kind of popular. And then you'll realize that they're insanely popular. <laughs> And you're like, what? So, I didn't know that these guys have like, you know, 40 million YouTube views on this video. What? I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, I that one. Like, I didn't. YouTube views is a whole other world that I, every time I see some of these videos of these bands that I kind of ridicule, but have, like you said, tens of millions of views, I am just dumbfounded. Well, look. I. I generally judge bands off what I hear at the grocery store because I work at a grocery store, and I know I hear Savage Garden a decent amount. So, but look, you have to remember, you know, um, the world is filled with people, you know, that that just like, you know, quote unquote, oh, I like music, you know, oh, yeah. they have no real like, they're or like the, you know, uh, y- your mom's friend. You know, she just likes music, you know, she's like, oh, I like that one song, you know, or whatever it is. Except for rap. That's, that's, that's the most of the world. That's most of America. That they just kind of like, ooh, that's a fun song, or that's cool. They have no real, like, you know, they're not heavily uh, ensconced in, like, the emo scene or whatever, you know, whatever weird niche stuff that, you know, young people get themselves into, you know? And honestly, sure. some of these bands like Savage Garden, they get their songs on biggest rock hits of the 2000s playlist on Spotify, and they get 5 million listeners a month based off of well, that. Let's, because Let's not discredit Savage Garden too much here. But I'm just saying, like, you get your song on one of those playlists, and you your numbers are through the roof for golden. forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's 5 million songs, and then they got, you know, 
point oh 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 uh one cent per play. So that that netted them five thousand dollars. Thanks. Yeah. It's better than any of my bands. Yeah, right. Kid player. Do I, I have no children. Okay. So this might be irrelevant then, but uh, someone posted recently about how much they make of their job versus how much someone who my four-year-old watches on YouTube daily and makes like $10 million a year. And he's like a five-year-old kid who just like dumps soda on its dad every day for fun. You know, <laughs> Steven, why didn't you figure this out? Yeah. What, so, what, so what is the question? That is a I, statement. The next question is a fan question. And this is actually a good question. Are you ready, Blair? Or are you sitting down? I'm sitting down. Okay. It's, <laughs> this was my favorite one. What kind of Pop-Tart is that boy eating on the cover of Day 3 of My New Life? That is a great question, and I really have no idea. Um, <laughs> Colby, our drummer, uh, Colby, our drummer, lived in, in, uh, uh, in Chico, California. Uh, Chico State is the college that's there, and that's up in Northern California, somewhere kind of in between where I grew up in Redding and halfway between there and, like, um, Davis, where we went to school, his now wife went to college there. So he ended up living there for a little while in between. And there was this guy named Alan Yost. And Alan Yost would um, showed up at a show one night, and, I, and he had, I don't know why, like Colby had got him to bring it or whatever, but he had all this artwork. And he would draw on just found material. So, um that Pop-Tart guy is, is drawn, like, in, like, chalk pencils or whatever, and you'll see the seam, so it's like a grocery bag unfolded. And then right. the other portions of that record are drawn on pieces of cardboard or whatever, and um, we just thought they were super cool, and he was this, like, local college student, and um, we, like, picked three slides of these things he had done, and, he, he, and that was the artwork for the record. So, um, and I still think it's great. Like, it just, it just looks, uh, you know, he was really talented and we just lucked into having some really cool artwork, you know, on an album. It works. But I don't know what flavor to Pop-Tart it is. I have no idea. And I don't think he knows either. <laughs> if it were you, what flavor Pop-Tart would that be? Um, I, you know, I don't. I, I'm not real fancy on any of the like. I'm not a big chocolate person. I'm not a maple person. It would probably be I don't know like strawberry or raspberry. I'm more of a fruit person. Okay, I, out of curiosity, Justin MC, what pop tart would you eat on the cover of the knapsack record? If it was me as a child, it would be the s'mores one, no question. Uh, really. I would probably go strawberry, but I honestly haven't eaten a Pop-Tart since I was, like, preteen, which was so long ago that it isn't even a real time anymore. I would go brown sugar cinnamon no matter what. That's a good one. Interesting. That probably right. didn't even like exist it. the last time I ate a Pop-Tart. <laughs> brown sugar cinnamon? That's an OG, isn't it? Maybe not. I don't know. I'm 12. I don't know the history of Pop-Tarts, Stephen. <laughs> 
Well, let's yeah. break it down. <laughs> no, stop. Are there any more fan questions, Stephen? No, no, no. It was just those three. I saved the Pop-Tart one for last. I thought that was the best one. Um, I do want to ask you, though, because we try and ask this and, you know, everyone's doing their thing and COVID fucking sucks, whatever. You know, what, like, do you have any shout outs, any bands you're listening to, anything coming up you're working on or I, I don't care if it's movies or books or whatever, you know what I mean? Do you have any shout-outs you uh, want to make before we close out the episode? Shout-outs. You know, Sergi, um, Sergi uh, and and Ian, uh, our bass player from Racket Club, have put together a really cool band with the singer of that band, Stick to Your Guns, called Ways Away, that I think is really it's great, so and I'm really proud of those guys. Good. Yeah, right? So, yeah. Uh, you know, Sergi's a real... Yeah, Sergi's a you know has a really big creative engine in a million different ways. So um, you know, kudos for him to like uh, really putting that together and doing a great job with it. So it's really cool. So uh, shout out to the, to my boys. Yeah, that record is really great, and I don't think it got the press it should have gotten. So if it, I think it's self-titled, right? Ways away, the record's called Ways Away. But it's really fucking catchy and it's really good. And while I don't like, sorry, to this fellow, I don't know his fucking name. While I never have, like stick to your guns, holy shit, that dude sounds like a fucking angelic John C. Riley, and it's really fucking good. That's a wild yeah. description. <laughs> yeah, it's... I'm like, you're like, like someone would be like, I'm gonna take that as disrespect, you know? I don't know, like, I, like, but no, does John C. <laughs> but, uh, That's a huge no, compliment, compliment in my book. Yeah, I like Country Road. In the fucking note, it's good. Anyway, it's really... I think they did a great job, and they're, uh, you know, in particular, like during COVID nonsense and putting it together, and rather than just kind of being a lump on a log and being depressed or like not doing anything, they made a, a whole record. So that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, any other shout outs you got, Blair? I'm trying to think. Um, what have I? What do I groove? What have I been grooving on? No, I don't really have anything to say. I can't, you know, stuff that I listen to or whatever has been sitting around for a while. So, you know, no. I don't. I don't really have anything new to 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 to, to pump up. The ways away shout out was actually really good because I actually only heard it for the first time about two weeks ago, and I was very stoked when I heard it. Hey, if you've got shit coming out in the future and you want to come back on, we can do this again and try and promote stuff or whatever, if anything you're feeling, you know what I mean? Um, otherwise, cool. well, this I'll is, you know, a heads up, yeah. guys, just as like, uh, this is the most fun podcast I've done. I've done a bunch, but this is a lot more fun than most of them because it's just more interactive and fun. So it's easier to do. So I like that. Awesome. That's Thank awesome. you. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Normally, we're not yeah. fun. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're no, you guys very are fun. <laughs> it's fun because it's hard, like, it's hard to sort of, like, talk about everything in a – I mean, there's so much – you know, everything's so nuanced, and, there's so, and the stories are so go in any which and way, yeah. direction, or whatever. So it was nice, and we wrangled it all pretty nice, I thought. So that was good. Good job. Awesome, man. Well, thank you very much. I'll shoot you like an email or a text or something when the episode's coming up. And um, if you want to post, you can. If not, no big deal. If uh, you need anything, just hit us up and let us know, dude. All right, word. Yeah, awesome, thank Blair. you.
All right, guys. Nice talking with you. You too. Have yeah, a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, well, it was great to talk to Blair. I'm ready for a nap, but I also would <laughs> like to get some in the sack. Uh, that was so let's good. talk about our favorite records. Money, <laughs> money. I was trying to there think about like if you had a bag that you took with you to your nap. It's not a sleeping bag. Like you just had like a small like bundle, a knapsack, if you will sack for your nap what would you have in it i mean it's almost like a fanny pack almost what would i put in a knapsack if i carried it is that the question yeah no sleeping pills it's not a a knapsack like you understand one hitter of weed it's a sack that you take to your naps when you sleep so like a nap sack i'm still sticking with xanax a a blanket how big is xanax how big of a sack are we talking? A, yeah, you can't fit a pillow and a blanket in a knapsack. Why am I taking a knapsack to go to sleep? You guys keep saying knapsack, but what I'm saying is a nap sack. He's dropping the K and putting a, a space between the P and the S. Well, who says a knapsack has to be the same size as a knapsack? We're not. So then why are you questioning whether I can fit a pillow in my knapsack? Because I think you're you're imagining a knapsack much bigger than a knapsack actually is. You could throw a knapsack over your back. Are you a fucking hobo that you can fit everything in a bandana on a stick? Thick and biddle. That's what I'm thinking, Jack Kerouac. Jack Kerouac knapsack over the back. Son of a bitch. <laughs> oh my god. A repo Jack Horseman now? That, that worked out so much better than I ever could have. I was just trying to envision a, us that just was really a knapsack. Good Knapsack at each other. This, I is, get like, it. this is like a, a, a slightly better version of all those Adam Sandler jokes. <laughs> Wait, do you want me to do it Adam Sandler style? A knapsack over your back when you can't wet. <laughs> Where's he at? <laughs> my door is black. Hey, here's my belly. <laughs> Smoking crack. <laughs> I really I, love the Strike Anywhere record. It came out in yeah. 2020. I Why'd know we like talked it? about it on the pod podcast already, but lyrically very relevant, almost mm-hmm. unintentionally relevant. I think. Yeah. Um, but a, a, as we stated before, um, every time these police protests come up and any kind of like race is involved, we like it comes up that probably the Confederate monument should be taken down in Richmond where strike anywhere is from is home to a lot of them. So he wrote some songs on that new record that are specifically about that and seem, seem like they are very, very current events, even though they wrote the record a year before the events of 2021, 2020 and the black matter movement really blew up. Um, and also like just musically, like that record sounds like the perfect mix of, early strike anywhere and the later strike anywhere stuff where it was like it was this perfect blend where it sounded like everything you expected to hear from strike anywhere in on a new record but you were worried that you wouldn't actually hear that and they would do something weird and different but they just came through with 
of a record that sounded like Strike Anywhere and delivered all the punches that you wanted to hear, and they were still relevant. And that is hard to do for a band that is as outspoken on social and political issues as they are. I think that record, if you put it between Exit English and Dead FM, no one would question it. And it would make sense. Like, that's kind of what they should have done. Yeah. After Exit English. I, I actually agree with that a lot. It would have been a great transition record between those two because I think Dead FM came out with this, I don't want to say a different sound, but it was, it, was, it was slightly different than what they did on their first two records. And the new record blends that, those two styles very well. And if they had had a transition, even a transition EP, everybody would have been a lot happier. I'm so glad we went to see them when they played Baltimore. That was what, February? Yeah. yeah. Like, that I feel, was... I feel great. very was, stupid. That was such a great show. Yeah, Justin, you should have went. Don't feel, stu- don't feel stupid, right Justin. Back. I don't think I had a real reason that I didn't go. Well, Baltimore's farther for you than it is for us. Yeah, and that was the closest eight. No Philly, I don't think. I think it was just Richmond, Baltimore, maybe. Yeah, it was barely a tour. Well, MC was telling me over and over that they were going to play the garage, so. No, he was probably telling you that we want them to play the garage. <laughs> like, the, it was Kill Your Idols and Strike Anywhere. Like, after Kill Your Idols, Strike Anywhere, it's the band. We were like, I know we can do it. Like, we can make it happen. But then, you know. Yeah, I, I'm so, going to make it happen. I yeah. promise you that. I well, don't you give a fuck. Made that kill your idols post how many years ago? That you just uh, that reposted? was like 2012. Yeah, and someone commented like, "Yeah, right." They would never do that. They only play festivals, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> suck it!" Oh so, man. So I was literally in talks with like Strike Anywhere's booking agent trying to make this happen, but I was also in talks with like people who know them personally and trying to find like an in. And mm-hmm. um, I had a couple. Like in, in, in it was like March, so like it was like when the world started falling apart. I was like trying to message them, and be like, "Look, guys, I didn't know they had a new record coming out, but uh, my goal was to have them play a show in like the fall of this year of 2020 as like my quote unquote 40th birthday show, and I I don't care if they I don't I don't care what their number is. I don't know what their number is. I didn't get to that point with anybody." But my goal was just to be like, what's your number? Okay, I'll pay it. And I was going to just charge, like I did with the, the Kill Your Idol show, 15 bucks a head, X number of tickets. Whatever right. money I lose is like me eating it for a cool fucking birthday party and a show for everyone that I give a shit about. Right. I'm sure you could. That's one of those scenarios that if you like texted your band and me and a select other people they'd be like i'll throw an extra 25 dollars in the sea strike anywhere you know what i mean like you yeah, could have you could have gotten there without losing it yourself and it's one of those deals where like i was trying to pitch i wanted to talk to somebody in the band directly because if i pitch it as like look dude look guys this is what it is this is the venue this is what we've been about for a decade and like I think they'd be much more receptive to it than just their booking agent be like, do you want to play a garage? And they'll be like, what the fuck? Why are you even asking us? Right. Because if you get get an in, the whole spirit of the garage is strike anywhere. It, it's a yeah. no brainer. It makes sense. 
Like my favorite shows that I've seen Strike Anywhere play have been at DIY venues, whether it was the Champ or like Monroe Township Building or some fucking random room on South George Street in York, right next to the fucking McDonald's that I've seen people shit in the urinals. They played with fucking From Ashes Rise. Did uh did I ever tell you my story about when we played in the house next to the or attached to the one that the drummer lived in? Oh, um, that sounds fucking sick. Trunk Trunks and Tails played a house show, and uh, this fellow that I vaguely recognized wandered in while we were playing uh, with a glass of wine, <laughs> and he had walked out of his house onto the street and into the next house with a glass of wine. And uh, after we played, everyone was like, "You know who that is?" I was like, I don't know, he looks kind of familiar. He's like, he drums and strike anywhere. He heard you through the wall and he came over. And that was very, very cool. So this might be a, a shitty thing to say, but I don't think I would recognize any of the musicians in Strike Anywhere, like, to pick them out of a lineup. Like, Tom, their singer, Thomas, with the dreadlocks and everything, is the iconic vision, uh, or, like, image of Strike Anywhere. He's that yeah. iconic image that you picture and i've seen them a bunch and like i know that the guys in the band i kind of like vaguely know what they look like but again if they were just at a show they would just be normal guys at a show agreed yeah let's see what about you favorite uh 2020 records it doesn't have to be top three top five just talk about records. yeah i have a uh, two i want to talk about um there no one is surprised that uh if self-defense family releases anything it's going to be on my list. Um, instead of like a proper record this year, they dug through all their old hard drives and then recorded new vocals over a bunch of stuff that they either had or weren't going to release and did, um, I think it was four singles, ended up being like seven or eight songs, um, one of which is a 10-minute a song called Jesus of Nazareth that is incredible. Jesus Christ, are they meatloaf? No, they're... Uh, I think they're better than Meatloaf, um, but uh, they're how, Meatloaf. How yeah. many great movies have they starred in? <laughs> None. Probably but a lot of weird sex tapes. Potentially that. Um, a bunch of them work for ESPN now. Really? Yeah. Really? I guess I think yeah. there's like an ESPN like hub in Albany, and a bunch of them like uh, do like not quite commentating, but they run like the TV feeds and stuff, like from an office. That's pretty cool. Do they talk about that? On, what's their podcast? Uh, Overnight Drive is Hans and Andrew, and they, they right. talk about that. He does that. Back to the Grind, right? Yes. Yes, he does. And Worst Possible Timeline. Um, yeah, but uh, I thought they were... One? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, it's hard to describe them unless you already know the band, um, because the singles are all over the place. They do... They jump... I mean... Timeline-wise, in their career, they're from all over the place, so it makes sense that they jump all over the place. But they also have, uh, I don't know how familiar you are, MC, but they have like 14 members that they will just send out a text and be like, who wants to do this recording session? And sometimes the same five people will show up, and sometimes five completely different people will show up. But the singer is always the same, so it's the same band. Um, so wildly different stuff, but really cool, almost like a cool starting point for anybody that is too scared to try them i didn't listen to anything they did in 2020 mc i think if and this isn't just for mc if anyone hasn't listened to self-defense family the most accessible thing that they've put out is probably 
when they were end of a year and put out um what's the one with like the lines across you're beneath you're me. beneath me yeah yep. that's probably the best starting place it's very like discordy kind of maybe a little like 90s rev influence yeah they uh they also released one of their uh, island records this year on run for cover um australia oh, they put another one year. out yep australia came oh, out this year I love those. what's yeah. the one where it's like so you wanted some drugs so you wanted some or something like that that is iceland um yeah so, they have a series of seven inches MC where they record on an island and it's just called the Island series. So in a weird kind of tie into that, uh, I received an email recently from somebody that was um, questioning me about the old tigers, Pennsylvania EP that we released um, five years ago. Um, Because I forget which artist it was, but they had originally like, did two albums with state names and this person was looking for albums or EPs or records with other state names to complete the, the 50 States. Um, oh. I'm going to pull up the email real quick. So there might be just some dead space. Steven can cut out here. Um, I mean, if you're going to do Pennsylvania, I feel like you have to do wisdom and chains. Yeah, but they don't have an album named Pennsylvania. No land of Kings. is not the record. Yeah, it's a, it's a song. I don't know what the record's called. So where? No, it's something about like class war or something. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, someone at home is screaming it at us into their car stereo right now. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to look oh. it up. Um, also, uh, self defense family. Good connection for people who might not have listened to self defense family is Pat also sings in drug drug church, which seems to be more popular somehow, uh, right? I think it is yeah i mean they're more accessible overall yeah although i haven't listened to anything since paul walker which they released the year paul walker died before he died and i still think that means something try the record cheer the uh, newest full length Stephen. i think you'd really have so i'm gonna i'm gonna plug somebody here because they emailed me so this guy steve says hi my name's steve i'm starting a podcast called the 48 states project where we pick out albums that have state names and review them like they're S-U-F-J-A-N, Stephen's newest album. Sufjan. Sufjan, Stephen's newest album. Because he planned to do all 50 states, but he only made Michigan and Illinois. I don't know who that is. I don't know that artist at all. He said, we found Pennsylvania and I really liked it. Just was wondering if you had any info, interesting facts about it, and you wanted to share that we could talk about on our podcast. So... I, I just replied to the guy and was like, told him a bit about about like the recording process and like, you know, hey, this was old Tigers coming off a two year hiatus, blah, 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 slightly new lineup. And no, it was something cool. Like it was a weird random email, but, you know, people find shit on the Internet, I guess. Yeah, somehow they do. It's weird. Steven, did you want to talk about a record you liked? Well, you said you had two. Was you oh, only yeah. mentioned self defense? Oh yeah, I guess I only mentioned the self defense stuff. Um, probably my record of the year was a a record called "May Our Chambers Be Full" by Emma Ruth Rundle and Thou. Um, I've talked to both of you about it before, I think, but uh, it's a collaborative thing because each of them individually are, are very different. Emma has like droney, folky stuff that wouldn't be out. I think it is released on Sergeant House. I was going to say it wouldn't be out of place on Sergeant House. Uh, kind of in that Chelsea Wolfish vein. Um, 
thick guitar stuff and but she sings pretty over top of it and thou is incredibly sludgy or grindy depending on the record and puts out like a million records but this is really cool because her like folky thing is juxtaposed with screaming backup vocals and like really 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 heavy parts and i don't know it's very very cool i liked it a lot um a record that i really enjoyed this year and um i i I mentioned this the last time we recorded this. So let me start over. A record that I really liked this year was a local band uh, who changed their name. They were known as Witch Hazel. They are now known as Spellbook. And Uh, they put out an album. I couldn't tell you the name of it, but I listened to it a couple times through. And they do this like 70s hard rock, early heavy metal thing that is so fucking good. Like, I hate comparing them to Black Sabbath, or but... It is like that, though. You're right. They, yeah, if you listen to like the first couple albums of Black Sabbath and then you put on Spellbook, you're like, oh shit, these guys got their chops from Black Sabbath and they don't try to mimic it. They just are like not afraid to play songs that are heavily influenced by that. And Nate, their singer, has a great set of lungs and he can do that like... like almost Ozzy-esque singing style, but I also think he mixes in a little bit of the Dio style too, which some people fucking shit on, like that Dio did a couple Black Sabbath records, but Dio is a fucking amazing singer, so whatever. Um, But Spellbook, if like you like that groovy, fucking heavy metal, hard rock from the 70s, you need to check out Spellbook and really give that a listen because that record is killer, and those guys really, really know their fucking rock and roll history and are not afraid to just put themselves out there in that vein, and it is so fucking good. Is it called Magic yeah. and, and Mischief? Is that the album? Yeah. Yes, that's that, it. Um, it's really yeah. good. Artwork that's is cool. Just, Justin, the put it on the shop great. tomorrow. You'll love it. Okay, I bet I will. Um, of all the years that they were Witch Hazel, I very rarely saw them get like any like attention outside of like small town York PA. But now that like they put out this record as Spellbook, I've seen like it and mostly because Craven repost articles about it, but like legit like pretty solid websites are like, hey, actually like give this a try. Hey, is Travis Zinn still in that band? Wasn't he in it when they were Witch Hazel? Yeah, he's still their drummer. Okay. My sister had a crush on him in high school. Should we interview him about that? I'm gonna anyway, uh, I'll briefly go over favorite records from 2020. And this is a redo of an episode where I ruined it, but I didn't know I could count EPs. <laughs> Purposely ruined it. I didn't know I could count EPs, but Every Scar is a Story EP. It's definitely my favorite record. From 2020, mostly because I love Rob Fish and also Tom from You and I. And um, the last song on it, I forget what it's called, Price of Admission. And like just lyrically, basically going over everything that happened in 2020. And the question is, is it worth the price of admission? So that one hits pretty hard. And uh, Be Well, definitely one of my favorite hardcore records. And if. Did you listen to Battery, Justin? Did we talk about this? Um, 
I don't think so. Well, either way, you can tell it's him, but you can also tell, like, since Battery, he lived oh. life. You know what I mean? Like, and he's like, Is damn, it... depressing shit happened now, and now what... I'm singing about it. What was was that the one that I told you would be really cool if you had a Bayside tattoo? Or was that way? Or was that ways away? That might have been ways That's away. That's probably ways away. But that record's great too. That's not my like one of my favorites. My other favorite's Pine Grove, which um, it's just a really good porch sitting record. I really enjoyed that Be Well record. Sorry, I'm uh, late to the party on that. No, you're good. It's. And- it's great. It's better than the last Bane record. So I liked. I liked everything. That's you one of the guys on that from list. Bane, right? Yeah. It's Dahlbeck, okay. right? Brian uh, or uh, Aaron Dahlbeck. Yeah, who lives in like fucking what's the shitty town outside of Lancaster on the river? Lebanon, Columbia, no. Columbia, Marietta, Marietta. Really? Really? Um, no, I yeah. thought the Be Well record was really good. I listened Every- to it at least twice. Everything you put on that list, I liked better on the second listen, Stephen. Did you listen the whole way? I did. Oh, um, the I did. Was... I did not Sorry. make it all the way through the Fiona Apple record. I quit halfway through. Because she cackled. Nah, I just, I don't know. I still haven't quite been in the mood for it yet. I don't know. Anyway, non-punk records on that playlist. One was Orville Peck, who you introduced me to, and that song with Shania Twain is so fucking good. It's really, really good. Then he has another song where he says, "Man, I feel like talk. a woman." Yeah, and he has a song where he pretends to talk into like a CB. He's like, "Breaker, breaker, heartbreaker." And I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> like, breaker, breaker, break my heart." I was like, <laughs> "I, I feel you." I actually, I actually really want to listen to that based on that alone because I love weird, like, I don't want to say outlaw, but like, I really love weird, oh, like, that's it. Yeah. Like weird country like that. It's, it's weird album. It's music. weird, yeah. Um, I also really love like stuff? pop country like Shania Twain, but not newer pop country because I feel like it's so derivative. Oh, also the new Taylor Swift was, was pretty good, and you can tell that the National had a part in writing it. All right, yeah. if we're going to talk about fucking pop culture bullshit, I've got to say that Justin and I discussed this, and... Uh, that new ACDC album is way cooler than it should be in 2020. I agree. Um, it so uh, I heard an ad for it, and um, Lois and I went. We got groceries or something at Target. I don't remember. And we were in there when they played an ad for it over the speaker, and we had to be in the store long enough for them to do it like three times for me to understand that Brian Johnson was saying he was in ACDC because it sounds like, I'm Brian Johnson, but he is species. And so, like, I'm Brian Johnson, the endangered species, is what it sounded like. And well, then that's it was because just he, As a warm-up, he gargles a glass of warm, broken glass. glass. Yeah, yeah. He just gargles broken glass, and, he's, and he spits it out, and then he does his set. Guys. Yeah. What's your hot take on the lead singer of Trapped getting kicked out of his own band because of his Twitter presence? Wait, what? Did that happen? Oh, yeah. Oh, (laughs) yeah. The lead singer of Trapped got kicked out of his own fucking band because of his fucking insane Twitter presence. Which I actually think that guy is mentally, like, unwell. So it's kind of sad to make fun of him, but... 
dude, you're putting yourself out there like an asshole. So I can't well, help. Um, my my friend. Close, sorry, go ahead, Justin. My my friend Brian Hexter, who uh, is famous for running the the box office at Union Transfer in Philly, uh, posted the folks charging the Capitol inside, like pushing each other with headstrong playing, because it just looked like a push pit. <laughs> it was very funny. <laughs> um. Okay. How about the fact that the most punk band on Twitter is? Does anyone want to say who it is? The Dead Kennedys. Yes. No. Eve Six. Has anyone tuned in on this? No. I really What's don't happening? use Twitter. Oh What's my god. Ha- What's happening? He he is just like roasting everyone. It's great. He's like making fun of the dead Kennedys. The dude from Eve Six, he's like, who thought we'd be more punk than the dead Kennedys in 2020? And I thought like it was that. funny it's that the dead Kennedys made a post and Jello Biafra roasted the dead Kennedys. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, East Bay Ray sucks, but either way, Eve Six, most punk band on Twitter in the year 2021 to start. Also, next week or next episode, <laughs> we need to do... Our celebrity death pool for 2021. I was thinking that. And, and recap no, last year. And, and sorry, TJ, but no cop outs. No, a rapper. That's not fair. No, that doesn't yeah, count. No, yeah, no, uh, a no, some tattoo faced internet rapper. Yeah. I'll name names. I'm coming hot with names. And I'm going to name someone close to us. Oh, no. I don't want to. See, I'm. I don't want to. Steven, don't tell us who you're going to murder this year. Oh, email plug. No, oh, yeah, this is know. perfect. Yeah, sorry. Email plug. Have do either of you guys check the two beats off? Or sorry, the two the Tebow email. Nope. I don't have access. Sorry. Okay. I am a second class citizen on this podcast. I'm not logged this, into it. MC. it's fine. No, this goes out to Laura. And hi, Laura. Thanks for, Laura thanks May Martinez. Laura May Martinez. This is the only way that I will know if Brian, aka Brian with with a, actually does listen to our podcast, because Brian is a hip hop artist who is specifically requested to be on this podcast, according to his uh, agent, who is willing to pay us to have him on and be interviewed. Uh, oh, his no. hit song is Shooting Stars, with, which you can find on Spotify. They would like me to send the availability. Uh, the artist's name is Brian, age 26, currently working around the clock on his music. He's been recording his album. Yeah, he's working around the clock diner? Yeah, he works around the clock diner, and he's recording an album at the Salt Mine where Lil Wayne did three of his Carter albums. It says I actually that, would like to talk to this guy. I want to know what is the best... Um, appetizer at round the clock in the middle of quarantine when they shouldn't even be opened. When asked, he mentioned you and your podcast specifically. Really? Email. Budget-wise, the artist has a large budget and nothing is out of range. All right, so... Tell me Tell me more. So, so here's the deal. Laura, I, I, I need I need $277. I don't know what you guys need. You figure it out. Give them the total. I just need $277. I want $2,077. I'll take the scraps, whatever's left. You so five. Justin wants 53 cents. <laughs> yeah. So if 
Brian really listens and wants to be on this podcast. He likes Buster Rhymes, by the way. I want Laura May Martinez to email us again, and then I will reply, and then we can discuss monetary. Stephen, I think you're doing this all wrong. You just request the money, and then we interview the guy, and we put it out there. And I don't. Yeah, we're sellouts. Who cares? Uh, we're you making so much two thousand dollars for two thousand dollars. <laughs> I'll interview any fucking moron that wants to be on here. Well, that was like a month ago, and they said within the next two weeks. But Laura, <laughs> so you blew it. If, if so you, you reply, on, if you reply, they're gonna be still into it because this dude has no fucking like tour plans. Yeah, he has nothing going on right now. He still Brian. hasn't finished that album. Like he's on I mean, Spotify. What, what, wait, what's his starts. rap name? What's his rap name? Like Brian with a or something. It's not very good. It's not like Lil Brian or some shit. No, he oh. should be like. Like sweet B S sweet B B what what's his last name? I don't know. Did I ever tell you guys my rap idea? That's him. Sweet B Lister. Did I ever I tell you guys sweet my cool B-lister rap idea? Is a fucking hilarious rap name because he's not an no. A Lister. He's a B Lister. He's a sweet B Lister. That's I'm a gonna, good rap name. I'm gonna write a bunch of fun raps. Without swears in them, about the sky okay, and, Will Smith. and hold on, hold right. on, about what? The, what is the sky. is your old lady gonna fucking cheat on you and you're just gonna be smiling about it on fucking Oprah too? Most likely, um, but I'm oh. going to write a bunch of Sorry, that uh, dark, fam- family friend family friendly raps about the sky and stars and celestial bodies. And do you know what my rap name will be? Paramore already did this. Probably Lil- not as close. Sweet B Lister. Lil Dippa. Lil Dippa. <laughs> that Lil just sounds Dippa. like you're fucking using skull. You guys. Lil Dippa. Yeah. Yeah. Do you carry around a water bottle to spit your fucking chew into? Lil Dippa? No, it's... Oh, Ooh. you ruined it. Oh, man. Oh, I'm... Yeah, we're from Pennsylvania. Anyone that not... says Lil Dippa is going to be like, oh, he just chews. I wonder if he uses fucking skull or Copenhagen. No, it's an educational tool for children taking sky classes. Yeah, until their fucking lip falls off from mouth cancer. All right, this has been an episode. I'm shitting all over your idea because all I can think about is somebody fucking putting a wad of fucking skull in their lips like it's the Sandlot and they're riding the fucking Tilt-A-Whirl and they all puke all over themselves. That's fine. When I play the Sandlot. When I play the York Fair. What the fuck, Steven? But I, Justin, can you get on board with this? Steven, the Sandlot yeah, is sucks. a move that everyone should have seen. Yeah, that sucks. Steven, okay, you like baseball, here's the thing. right? What? What? You like baseball, right? Mm. Yeah, I do. All right, then go watch the Sandlot. You'll love it. And I'm not even like trying to be mean. Just watch the Sandlot. You'll love it. It's a great okay. fucking... Before we get into it, you may have seen the Sandlot, but I was at the swimming pool from the Sandlot. Yeah, but did you fucking make out with that chick? Did you pretend to drown and make out with her? She's probably dead now. Yes, I understand. All right, that's going to do it for episode 18 of Two Beats Off Podcast. Join us next episode for more shenanigans. With Gary Uh, from Kill Your Idols. Yeah, Gary from Kill Your Idols is next next episode. Hell yeah. Bye, guys. Bye. Sayonara, suckers. 
心。